this is Shaka Wart Speak. Hey everybody, welcome back to Shaka Wart Speak. I am Gareth Blackwell, as always, with my co-host Ryan Letario. Hey Ryan, how's it going? Uh, it's going it's going well. It's, it's a lot earlier on a Saturday than I'd like it to be. Yeah, it's not a... Usually we're not recording on weekends, but uh, the fantastic nature of the person who is in the studio with us this week necessitated a Saturday session. That's right. It's worth it. Yeah, so it's it's great to great to be back. Um, you know, it's been uh, a crazy whirlwind of a year for us so far on the podcast. So first and foremost, thank you everybody who's been joining in and listening, um, and also thank you to those of you who have started popping up on the Patreon and supporting us at that one dollar a month level. It's fantastic. Thank you so much. It's thank a huge you. help. I know it may seem like small to most folks. You know, it's not a whole lot. It's just a buck a month, um, but it is huge for us. Uh, and honestly, in the biggest way, I think just for morale. You know, to know there are people out there that care enough that they're willing to, you know, open up their pockets and give us a buck a month. Thank you all so much. So yeah, let's just get right into it. We've got uh, Carrie Kite with us this week. Uh, Carrie and I go way back, and he has a fantastic resume. Um, it's been great this season, just the the breadth of people from arts and design that we've had on. And it's great to have Carrie. He's a, a writer, a director. He has worked with uh, making short films of his own that have uh, done the festival circuit and been highly successful, as well as doing branded content with some fantastic national and international clients. So it's uh, great to have you so much uh, here. Uh, Gary, thank you so much for coming. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Welcome. Fun to be here. Yeah. So, um, you know, in the spirit of everything we've been doing this season, one of the things we really have enjoyed, and I think a lot of people resonated with, is, is this idea of origin stories. Um, and it works well for me because I, you know, grown up as a fan of comic books, like origin stories are legit. So, um, I guess Carrie, like just to introduce everybody to you and, uh, you know, what you do, um, how did you get into anything associated with art or design? Sure. Um, <clears throat> open-ended. I love it. Plus uh, we want to know what your kryptonite is. <laughs> <laughs> oh my kryptonite. I have to think about that one. Um, so I, uh, been obsessed with stories uh, since I was a kid, I uh, grew up in uh, uh, a couple houses. My parents are divorced, but both houses, like uh, all my parents were readers. Um, and so grew up reading um, and watching movies and um, very, very close with my, with my grandma, who uh, is a huge fan of movies um, and was always very supportive of my kind of interest in, in them. When I was a kid, all I ever wanted to be was an actor. Um, and then, uh, as I got into high school, I discovered writing. I was like kind of a classic English history person, not math and science person and, um, loved writing and knew that I wanted to study it in college uh, and I wanted to study it in a creative capacity. Um, and so I, I wanted to study screenwriting, wanted to study creative writing and get into storytelling and do it professionally. Um, and uh, as most uh, kids who don't get the best grades telling your parents, hey, I want to go to college to study screenwriting or to go to college to study creative writing um, doesn't always go over well. I hadn't put in a lot of work um, academically to really earn that uh, uh, benefit of the doubt. Uh, so I ended up enlisting in the U.S. Air Force and uh, I served for four years. I was in Texas for a year. I was overseas for three years, uh, stationed in the U.K., and uh, went to Afghanistan a couple times, kind of did NATO operations all over Europe, uh, working with and training other NATO air forces, uh, Romania, Belgium, Sweden, a bunch of other places. And uh, yeah, did my four years and then got out and used the GI Bill to um, go back to Columbus, Ohio and uh, study 
in the cinema studies program at Ohio State. Mm. Did that for a year, um, which was great. Uh, it was a great foundation. Uh, I kind of view that one year as as like undergrad. And then what I did was it wasn't a specific enough program. Uh, it was cinema studies, which is geared much more towards film criticism, mm-hmm. uh, which has a lot of value. But that's not what I wanted to do. I wanted to go study screenwriting. Um, so uh, I left Ohio State and went down to an accelerated uh, BFA program uh, in uh, Winter Park, Florida at mm-hmm. Full Sail University and studied uh, creative writing for entertainment. And uh, that program was great because it was not just screenwriting. It was mostly screenwriting, uh, but it was creating creative writing for all entertainment. So I'm, I've been trained in uh, video game writing, uh, comic book writing, short fiction, um, flat, you know, like everything from like flash fiction to literary short fiction um, and screenwriting. One thing they left out was copywriting, which we'll get to. That's something that I sort of scooby-dooed my way into when I started working in branded content. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so I, I, um, I finished up there and then moved right out to LA and got on set and started, started working. Mm. Nice. And I mean, it's, it, you know, it's interesting cause you're talking about, um, the, the kind of breadth of the type of writing you have, but, uh, I couldn't help but hear you say that you had this interest in story. And so I think before, you know, I want to just kind of come to uh, talk about something before we kind of get back into the story of, uh, how you got to where you are today. Sure. But, um, with that the uh, interest in story like how, how do you how do you see story really fitting into what you do in terms of the creative aspect of writing in whatever capacity so if you're if you're doing a commercial if you're doing a short film there's story somewhere in there but is story one of those things that's nice to have is it is it more foundational is it something that has to be there i mean how do you how do you see story fitting in as a creative pursuit yeah i think it's foundational and centric uh, every i mean i think um story is uh, story is essential um and as a trained writer, like I think everything is writing. Uh, so ev- every part of the creative process on the filmmaking side is writing. Uh, ideating is writing. Executing the script, the screenplay or the copy or whatever it is, is writing. Actually getting on set and making what you wrote is more writing. And then getting into the post-production process is writing. So story is uh, the story is what you come back to. So you're, everybody is coming back, is, is referring back to whatever the story is. So even if you're selling a product, doing commercial um, commercial writing, uh, you're selling a product for the client, but really what you're doing is you're selling a story to the consumer. Yeah. yeah. Now, see, that's great, because I'm, I'm thinking about that in terms of uh, what I do, because... Um, I do a lot of uh, design that's more in the kind of the communication space. And so with that, um, the way I envision actually laying out pages or entire products is, is through like moving through it as you would a story, mm-hmm. right? There's, there's an unfolding, there's a learning as you go. There's uh, there's surprise, there's uh, you know, consistency, all these sort of aspects that make for a good story. And I see that in what I do with design, right? It may not be, uh, you know, verbal necessarily, but the same uh, interplay that I think is there with story, like it feels the same as the work I do, especially when I'm doing communication design. Yeah. Um, so it's kind of an interesting thing. Um, Ryan, like what do you think, like in terms of like in more of the, the contemporary art space, like is there is there any way that you kind of think about story as a part of what you do or how the art actually interacts with people? No. <laughs> so, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, I'm blank. Um, 
No, I think so. What I was just listening. Well, two things. One is I want to come back to like you just the tenacity to go to LA and just jump in. Mm-hmm. That's something I want to ask you about. But um, in the because there's a story there for sure. Um, th- the structure of story I think is uh, says something about. It's almost like necessary to function. And so, um, you know, moment to moment, you know, small to big stories uh, are how we process the sequencing of things, how we how we how we understand ourselves moving through space and being people and assigning value and understanding how we make decisions. It seems to me that almost at a meta level, we are framed by story. Um, Sorry. So. I assume story, I assume narrative in the doing of the work that I do. So whether or not I'm telling a story in a conscious way always, Mm, I'm assuming myself in a story. I'm assuming myself as playing a role in a story, a vital role. Uh, Maybe not the lead. I don't think I'm the lead, but I I do think there is a a sequence of things happening and there's a story unfolding. And so I try to frame... uh, um, so I was thinking in terms of I've said this before like dichronic and synchronic categories. There's the yeah. there's the the thing uh, in process unfolding, and then there's the way we see it all at once, and then where we can kind of lift out indicatives of the all at once understanding of it. And so there's two ways of going about it. You can talk about things all at once, and you can dislodge the parts from the process of the story and analyze those, and then drop them back into the story and see the sequence unfold. And so I tend to ebb and flow between those two points, and um, part of equipping makers and thinkers is to help them do the same thing. Um, yeah, I mean, that's exactly right. I think everything is story. I, I think, um, well, like the way you were talking about being a human. I mean, if you look at, um, if you look at history, everything is framed as a narrative. That's right. All the great teachers of history taught through story. Yep. Um, and story is how we frame our existence. It's like, it's more than a coping mechanism. It, no, it is, yeah, yeah. it is, uh, it is how we exist and interact uh, mm-hmm. with the world around us. Um, so yeah, the story is essential. Yeah, yeah, I was gonna. I was actually gonna go the same route. Um, you know, because kind of as to show my hand, uh, leading question, right? <laughs> to ask this because I think that when we talk about story, like there's something about it. Uh, it is necessarily relational, right? Um, the idea of like you know, I I don't know that I've heard anybody say, yeah, you know, I was standing in my room telling myself a story the other day, right? You know, it's always sharing a story with me. Uh, sharing it with other people. There's something highly relational about that uh, that assumes um, a creator and an audience. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a really fantastic picture uh, of art and design in a lot of ways that um, I think sometimes we can get a little clouded and think, oh, I'm, I, maybe I'm just doing this just for me. And you know, there's there's great times where you're just doing stuff for you, but you know, to always assume an audience actually helps me, right? It gives me some clarity on some things to understand that there's a kind of conversation going on there. And so the, the narrative structure of a story, it, it, see, it feels a lot like a very uh, easy way to kind of understand or get back at the heart of what I do when I do design. Um, so it's interesting to hear it, especially from somebody who is focused on story mm-hmm. very much as a writer. Um, but in that respect, in terms of stories, uh, what is the story behind getting out to L.A.? Like what, what, what happened there? How that jump happened? Yeah, so um, for me, from from the um, from the beginning, when I when I left the military, um, I was always geared towards getting an education to go, like do the work. It wasn't it, that. That's why I didn't want to be a film critic. That's why I left the the cinema studies program because it wasn't um, 
uh, helping me, wasn't equipping me to be a practitioner. And mm-hmm. I always wanted to be a practitioner. Um, and then as a screenwriter, I'd read enough books and listened to enough interviews and watched enough you know, behind the scenes of Quentin Tarantino uh, DVDs and things like that, where I realized that just because you're a writer uh, doesn't mean that's the only thing that you should understand. So I had, um, I had an intuition that getting on set and learning how a film is actually made uh, was beneficial and would inevitably make me a better writer. What I didn't realize is that it would turn me into something more than just a writer and that I would actually enjoy the process of making and producing more than just writing. Um, so for me, it was there was no other choice really to leave, uh, to you know, grab my grab my BFA from the stage and keep walking all the way to LA because um, that was where movies are made, you know, and independent film and getting into the kind of Hollywood machine was uh, was the dream at that point. So it wasn't really uh, a choice. It was just get out, get on set, start PA, and learn how these things are made. How, how, cause I, you know, grew up in, in Southern California. Yeah. I have, I have, uh, friends that are, you know, sort of in the scene, the art scene and some, some film. And, mm-hmm. um, so that's a hard place to kind of enter into mm-hmm. it's very, you know, if you like, so like if you're a visual artist yeah. and you haven't, you didn't go to UCLA, um, it's, it's, you got to come from a really, really high level institution that gives you a little bit of trust to even enter into the market to the scene to the gallery yeah. system or whatever it's not a friendly place uh for a lot of folks so can you talk about did you have any struggle with that i mean like what what allowed you to yeah so i got break in a pretty lucky <clears throat> so obviously partly growing up down in san diego my mom my mom was basically just an hour and a half down down yeah, the yeah, pch yeah. which was which was good so if it ever got too tough i could just literally you know pop down there um, but, a very, very close family friend, uh, lived in Redondo beach, yep. South Bay, which is, you know, 10 or so miles from, from Hollywood, from the Valley. And, uh, he, he's a lot older than I am. And I kind of like, grew up hanging out with him and I was like, Hey, I'm graduating from film school and I want to come out and try this thing. Uh, can I crash for a while? And he's like, yeah, man, you're more than welcome. So I ended up crashing, um, in his second bedroom for, uh, like six months or so before, mm-hmm. before I, you know, made my friends and got a, got a roommate and all that. So that foundation was great. Uh, cause it eliminated, uh, most of the fear of what am I doing here? Who do I know? Right. right. Uh, how do I fit in? Like, what is it? And so <clears throat> I, I literally drove out there cause you know, I had a car in, in Orlando, drove out there and then just immediately got on, uh, Craigslist and uh, industry type websites that will get you uh, PA gigs. And I just knew I was crashing in his place and I had a little bit of a nest egg. So I was fine for a little while. And I'd worked in restaurants my entire life, uh, my entire adult life up to that point. So um, those two sort of foundations were made it a lot easier for me to just, just jump, jump right in. in. Yeah. 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 I mean, I think cause I, I asked that cause that goes to the quite your, your statement about uh, relationships. I think a lot of, a lot of makers of all kinds sit sitting idle in a moment believe that there's a a kind of there's a kind of a divine entrance right. yeah, and, yeah. and an anointed placement yep. in that is is almost uh, um, devoid of relationship or and the fear is that if you're in a relationship if it's a relationship built somehow that that uh, demeans or diminishes your artistic ability. It's like mm. somehow I'm not you didn't making earn it. You didn't earn it. Yeah. So, somehow it doesn't really guarantee that you understand 
yourself to be validated in doing this work. And, and I think that's all a farce for sure. Know? I mean, I think any, and, and it's difficult to convey that to people that are on the other side of that, still, still holding on to that idea. Right. And so it's you, like, yeah. just cause you're an artist doesn't mean you're not a person. Right. Um, and you know, lawyers need to know people, right. Accountants need to know yeah. people, salespeople need to know people, you know, restaurant managers need to yeah. know. I mean, it's like, this is relationship building is how the world works. That's and right. so just because you're an artist and you think you do something, uh, you know, more meaningful, uh, maybe yeah. it doesn't, that doesn't, uh, doesn't change the physics of, of the situation that you're in. That's right. Yeah. 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 And it's also interesting because I mean, it, I don't know, like it like points at something that like, um, that, I mean, why it raises a question in my head. Like, why would we even assume that like just doing it on my own is somehow better? Right. That like not having other people around me like not, you know, sharing in that experience and like working with people like that, that diminishes, you know, it's, it's, it's strange to me because, because I'm selfish. Me, I mean, yeah, I'm like, saying, no, I mean, I, yeah, I mean, I, mean I, I, yeah. I get that. Like, you know, the, the very like real like base sense, but, uh, it's just so, it's just so jarring to me, especially like looking back on my own life and cause I could be asking this question to myself at like 19, like, mm-hmm. why are you thinking that you can't get help from somebody else? Why are you thinking that you you shouldn't make it because somebody has helped you. You know, like, I mean, even the way that I was like hugely dismissive of my, dismissive of my parents, like trying to help me with things. Right. Like, Sorry, dad. Yeah. You know, it's just like <laughs> as a kid, just being like, you know, nobody can help me with anything. And I remember my mom uh, saying at one point to me, she was like, you know, you really take away a lot of other people's joy when you don't allow them mm. to be a part of your life. Mm. And I was like, it was one of those statements where, you know, cause my mom's a very like overly sweet person. So for her to say that was like a very, caustic cutting comment and it was just like i hadn't thought of it that way that's a great way to frame it It goes a little deeper for me as a as a as a writer and a storyteller you know that dude that i lived with for six months he's in my stories because we've spent so much time together and Mm -hmm. done so many fun things or funny things that i've pulled you know aspects of different characters i've written uh are based on on aspects of his personality and same thing with my family and my parents and like all these all these experiences so Yes, it, it gets at accepting um, help, you know, and, and right. having like the grace right. to do that. But it also look a little further, look a little deeper into that and you'll see inspiration and you'll see, oh, these are the things that life is made up of. Mm-hmm. And life is what I'm telling a story about or what I'm painting about or what I'm sculpting about, whatever it might be. And that's why I love that's why I love the restaurant industry. And that's why I think the restaurant industry is so great for you know, actors and freelancers and, and painters, whoever it might be. Um, yes, it's cash. Yes, it's social. And it, you know, kind of uh, feeds those basic human needs. But it's also an interaction of service and acceptance mm-hmm. and uh, um, interaction that's real and like deeply human. And so you're mm-hmm. just, if you're open to it, you're finding and discovering inspiration for uh, whatever it is that you're making along the way as you live your life and do your work. Yeah. 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 And I think, I think so, you know, for a lot of artists too, you depending, so there's these differences. And so like, you know, when you think about cinema, like, like you're like, you know, I could go look at the back of a Tarantino, you know, the extras in a DVD or something yep. like that and read, read up on that and listen and listen to director's cuts, that kind of thing. So there's different degrees of accessibility, Um, and there's also the ways in which certain mediums come to you versus some that you go to, Mm -hmm. you know? And so like, you know, if you're, if you're, uh, you know, fine artist, whatever, you kind of got to go to places. Right. Um, and then, and some things come to you, so they they situate, um, themselves differently in terms of how you identify with it. So like what I'm saying is, um, a movie comes to me 
um, maybe I go to the theater, but I can watch it at home. Um, and then I read up on this stuff privately. I'm being given a window into the relational dynamics yes. that are necessarily out there. Yes. So then I have to go out to that. But when you're a contemporary artist, sometimes you're at home and you go to the space and there's just the work. There's no, there's not an, a, an accessible window into the life of the maker. Sometimes even the life of the maker is, is necessarily obfuscated. Yeah. And so then you go back to your space and you go, you got a mystery. You're like, how in the heck? And I'm not saying better or worse, just matters of difference. And so you're like, uh, how in the heck do I figure that out? And so then you start cooking in your, your space by yourself. And uh, because when you went there, the, the artist uh, maybe was vacant, wasn't there. Or you went to an artist talk and they gave you an hour synopsis of the highlights that, that uh, show them in the best possible light. I mean, we could, we could map this out depending on the medium you start to go into. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I think what's interesting to me is like when you start to let some of this cross pollinate, um, you start to infer from sort of where you're coming from back into maybe more, uh, you know, like what I do, I guess. And uh, I think that's where a lot of the, the learning exchange can happen and like interesting things can kind of emerge out of that, uh, that space. But it first takes, I think, understanding some of the pitfalls for makers according to uh, the lane they want to get into. Um, and not narrowing yourself, you know, not narrowing yourself exclusively to that to the point that you're not actually looking at other makers and other other modes. You see what I'm saying? I do. Yeah, yeah. I, I think we were talking about Gareth and I were talking about this a little bit yesterday after we left your class. Um, I think that uh, the fine arts, what you do, uh, needs to be foundational for any maker. I mean, I go back to high school and I, you know, I took drawing three times. I took painting twice. I took graphic design seven times. Um, and you know, the fine arts are and and art history is a foundation needs to be a foundation for, uh, all other art forms. So in this case, cinema, like having an understanding of the, uh, contemporary ecosystem that you fit into and then also the historical precedence that's been set by because because film cinema is such a new i mean it's a it is a blip that's right on 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 the historical radar i mean like you know say like what you do has been around for thousands of a thousand years you know a couple thousand years at least at least yeah you know so um that it, it, it just it is foundational it exists as a foundational um aspect of of art so I think we, I would like to see us moving back towards that as a, as a foundational learning experience, but then also the interaction with each other is, is hugely important. And yeah. that, that's what I heard you talking about. And so, you know, the fact that, uh, you know, fine artists and filmmakers need to be viewing each other's work, interacting with each other's yep. work, talking to each other about it. Yep. Um, and understanding that it's, uh, different sides of the same coin. Yeah. And mutually beneficial. Like yeah, I think the fear is that there's something lost by spending the time. Yeah, oh, for sure. You know, yeah. the economy of time is, is I think one of the most pressing issues for culture makers Yeah, is the, uh, is that something is dictating how we spend our time and how we think creatively. And I think, um, there's, there's a reason for that. It's understandable, but then there's also a loss of power in that. Sure. And I think we have power, uh, that can be wielded wisely, but also, uh, daringly and, courageously to, to push against some of that, just some of the expediency. Uh, but it takes, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm sitting here thinking I'm hearing this and I'm like, um, 
kind of going back to an idea we talked about, I don't remember it was one or two episodes ago, uh, but we, um, you know, we, we, we think about a lot of things in terms of zero sum, right? So we're like, well, you know, if we go back to this idea of, of this as a foundation, I guess we just, we just can't do this, uh, interdisciplinary stuff anymore. Sure. Right. That's how and people hear it. And, or it's like, you know, but Hey, uh, if we do this interdisciplinary stuff, then we just can't have this foundation. And it's funny because, uh, having gone through interdisciplinary interdisciplinary programs and teaching in that space, one of the things that sticks out to me is um, I need you to be deeply grounded in something in order to be remotely effective right. in an interdisciplinary or collaborative space. Like if I'm collaborating with somebody, I'm doing that only off of the assumption that they're so good at what they do that we can bring collective strengths together, mm-hmm. you know? And I think that's there. Um, but I think we either go with an either or situation, right? It's just like, you know, I can, I can work together with people or I can be really good at this thing over here and just do it by myself. And I think there's a lot lost in that, right? Because it's not, it's not a very good like relational dynamic. No, for sure. I think it, it assumes, um, it assumes ability where you don't need to assume ability. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like I'm not a particularly great painter. Uh, I never was, and I was never particularly great at drawing and I was never particularly great at design either, but going through the reps of learning, uh, the foundational aspect of storytelling through a canvas is essential. If you can let go of the desire to meet, uh, some standard that you probably don't even understand. Yeah. And I mean, you know, we're, and you know, Carrie, you and I are working on a project right now and, uh, we had a conversation yesterday and you said, cause I was talking about how, you know, I, I like to regain a certain amount of control in all the projects mm-hmm. I work on. And, um, and that's a kind of a normal human thing. Sure. Right? It's not an ab, abnormal feeling for most things. And you said, you asked me, well, like, how does this work with this project? Knowing that like, you know, you're not like in the driver's seat of the stuff we're doing. And I was like, I, I have full trust in your ability. And that's amazing. Right. Cause I can, I can, I can single in on the things that, that I do well. And because I have trust in your ability and I know you're like kind of the cut of your jib, so to speak, um, I don't have any issue with that. But that goes back to like, I mean, I know it's like the know and be known part. Oh, totally. Which takes time. Yes. So if you're not, there's not that uh, sort of um, certain walls have to be dropped. You know, you have to like l- leverage. There's two things. There's the um, <laughs> there's like the awkward when you when you say vulnerability. I mean, yeah. it can get real awkward is, and, and I'm going to make it awkward. It can Please be do. like two people sitting in a room and dressing each other. Yeah. It's very awkward. It's a static picture and it requires like, it's, it, it doesn't, it requires a kind of intimacy, mm-hmm. right. That has to uh, preclude, you know, undressing each other. I'm using that awkwardly on purpose, but that's how I think we think about vulnerability. It can trickle around in the back or kick around in the back of our minds in these kind of odd ways. But it's more like uh, along the lines of going somewhere together. You're moving yeah. in a direction. It's actually dynamic. And if you think of it in dynamic terms, um, you you can't fully guard yourself at some point. You know what I'm saying? Well, like, yeah, yeah. It, so trade out what you just said. Think about it in dynamic terms. Trade dynamic out for story. Yeah. Think about it in story terms. Two people sitting in a room undressing each other. Yeah. That's a of course that's an awkward story. That's right. That's a boring story. Yeah. Two people in a room. I mean, unless it's you and your, you know, whoever you're with. But, but that's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. But the, yeah, if yeah. you told that story yeah. differently, you wouldn't. You wouldn't be no. saying that's two people in a room yep. undressing each other and then things happen. Right. You would tell a 
better, more interesting, more romantic, more dangerous, more scary story yeah, about yeah, yeah. it. Yeah. And then the example of what we're talking about with this project that we're doing together, like Gareth, you're in a unique position because you're both my client and the talent. So I'm collaborating with you and I'm delivering something to you, which yeah. I think is actually where your comfort is coming from yeah. because you have had, um, you have had a, uh, You've, you've had ownership in each in each portion of this process. So yes, I'm doing my job well, and I'm and I'm um, uh, earning the trust that you're bestowing onto me. But we're also working together, mm-hmm. and so we're collaborating in a way that w- those those walls have kind of come down because it's like I'm not just client and I'm not just talent. Like I'm both of these things, and so you have much more ownership of mm, the project yeah. that we're doing together because you're coming at it from a couple different angles. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think you know like. Um, and with that, I think that that comfort is also elevated because, like, like we said, we've got uh, almost going on a decade of right. knowing each other, right, or more at this point. Um, and so there's well, that's something the thing, when you when you journey together, and it's stay yeah. in the story framework. When you journey together, you, if you're like if you're you're you know you're 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 hiking, um, you're gonna walk behind each other. You're gonna notice things about each other that I can't I can't keep track of. Mm-hmm. So at that point, I'm vulnerable. Yeah, I'm not I'm not making myself vulnerable in a static awkward story. I'm, I'm actually necessarily by virtue of the, the endeavor going to be rendered vulnerable and time passing enables us to acclimate to those vulnerable points and earn trust because as you're walking behind me and you're not stabbing me in the back and tripping me and mocking me, then I know I could trust you and vice versa. You see, and like yep. that kind of picture continues to unfold and it develops relationships. And so, but the way we tend to think about it is static. So most people want to hedge their bets and statically ensure these things preemptive to building the relationship and it doesn't work that way it rarely rarely does it becomes a strange contract yeah it is interesting like the the relationship always does seem to be preeminent to the work right um and i feel like and and we could we could take that to almost any level within our design right we don't have to just keep it on the interpersonal relational level we can talk about relationships in terms of uh, subject matter content what you're learning you know whatever it is the relationship is always going to be preeminent Mm -hmm. you know and uh and I think that points to something about us that, you know, gets at some of the, maybe some of the myths that we've talked about and kind of pushed back against, you know, um, things I talk about in classes or with clients that push against things like the idea of singular genius, mm-hmm. um, ideas about, uh, the, like the lone, uh, you know, the lone meteoric rise artist, right. Where we take anecdotes or particulars and we apply them to the whole mm-hmm. instead of saying, no, these might be outliers, mm-hmm. but for the most of us, uh, I think that we really do sit in a space where what we do is highly, highly relational. Um, and sometimes it's just up to us to get a little bit more comfortable with that because it's not always comfortable. Mm-hmm. That vulnerability and growing in it is going to come with weird spots of anxiety and, and strangeness. But I think what comes at the end of that, once we push through that is actually work that not only are you more proud of, but I think that resonates more in a conversation with other people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It has more impact. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah definitely. So, um, so you're out in LA and, um, was there any mullets? Did you see anybody with mullets? Not that I can remember. Okay. I can't remember yeah, any specific mullets. Just trying to locate, locate you in time by, by <laughs> <laughs> like what year was it? Yeah. What year was it? I was trying to see if I could guess the year uh, by the mullet. This was 2015. Yeah. So there wasn't a lot of mullets. Not a lot of mullets. Yeah, no, not there's, a lot of mullets. You were far enough mullets. away from the city to get, to get a mullet. Right, right, right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> nice. So, um, so I'm kind of interested, right? Because everybody, uh, starts out their career path a little differently. Mm-hmm. Um, and having, having known you for a while and having had these conversations already, um, what, like, what was your mindset? Like, okay, so you're, you're driving across the country from Orlando mm-hmm. to Hollywood mm-hmm. and you're going to be 
an industry person. And so like stick us into uh carry kites brain, like 2015 and that car ride. What were your like expectations, aspirations, dreams, whatever, what were you thinking LA would be for you? Yeah. So I went out, um, I went out with, with two things. I went out with the desire to get on set and learn. Um, and then I went out with finished scripts. Nice. So I had two short screenplays that I was ready to make. Like, so I, I went out, um, with the right amount of humility to understand that, Hey, I need to go out. I need to meet people. I need to learn. I just learned, I just, uh, got better at my craft of writing, but I did not learn how to be a filmmaker. I didn't learn how to be on set. Mm -hmm. So I need to go and learn that. So that was the right amount of humility and then the right amount of competence to be like, I wrote two pretty kick-ass screenplays. I think that if I meet the right people and build, build the right relationships, like we can, we can make these. And so I went out with the mindset of go out and learn and then do as quickly as possible. So both like do in the learning capacity and then do in the, um, in the, in the sense of like, go be, go be a filmmaker, go be an auteur, you know, go write, direct, produce, you know, your, your, your short films. Yeah. Um, so that was the mindset. Um, and, uh, I got lucky, you know, I, I think that there's, um, we're very, I was thinking about this earlier when we were talking, there's, we're, we're very hesitant to admit how much just luck and randomness, yeah. um, falls into, into each of our own stories and journeys and who you meet. And I, I you know, I applied for a hundred different positions in the first couple of days, PAs and like movies, like things that I've seen come out since. Mm. And, uh, I only got one, I only got one response and like I made the most of that response and I just got really lucky. You know, there's, I'm sure there's a lot of people who move out there and do the same thing and just find themselves waiting tables and only waiting tables and they never got the opportunity. So I think I going out with the right mindset and then getting lucky kind of helped me get that first opportunity. So uh, how, how long were you there? Like, before you felt like, Oh, I'm, I'm in the weeds of this. And it feels maybe like, when's the honeymoon over, so to speak. You know, uh, what was that like? Right away. That, that was part of the luck. So the first project that I was on was a web series that unfortunately I don't think is ever going to see the light of day, but I applied to be an unpaid PA. I went and met with the producers, a couple guys, my age, uh, which was interesting. And they're like, Hey, we actually don't need you to be a PA. We need you to be the second, second assistant director. And I said, sure no problem in my head. I'm like, all right, I gotta go like Google that and figure out what that is. And like, yeah, <laughs> figure out how to do that. But absolutely guys yeah. like, sure I can do that. And they're like, great. They're like show up, you know, it's unpaid. Is that cool? I'm like, yeah, totally. You know, I don't have a job yet and I, I want to get on set and learn. They're like, great. So you gave me the address of this place in Van Nuys studio. I showed up the next day and they're like, Hey, by the way, you're actually the second assistant director. Um, now because we had this, these other two people dropped out. I'm like, cool, no problem. Like, I, I learned about the second assistant director last night when I was researching the second second assistant director. So I know how to do that. I can just manage the cast and like you know get people where they need to be and park the cars and you know get people from hair and makeup and onto set and all that stuff. I'm like, no problem. So I helped him like build the set. I was meeting the director and doing all this. And then the next day, uh, we hadn't been shooting yet. This was still pre production, building sets and doing all that. Then the next day was one more day of pre production, and I showed up and they're like, hey you're now the only assistant director because the other guy just is not going to make it. So you just, this is an elaborate, a, this is an elaborate hoax. Right. Yeah. Exactly. It's, it's a deconstruction it. of, your, of your dreams. Exactly. It's exactly, that's kind of how I viewed it, you know, where I'm, where I'm like, okay, like this is cool. Like this yeah. is great. I definitely know what that person does because I've done all this research about who these people are on set and how it works. But being the only assistant director, I wasn't the first assistant director because I didn't have a second or a second, second assistant director. So I was both, I now found myself 
managing the cast and their call times and getting them to and from uh, the parking, you know, into from their cars into hair and makeup, from hair and makeup into uh, onto set and working, and then managing that set directly with the director who was directing and then the production manager who had scheduled everything. So um, immediately I was in the weeds yeah. and immediately the honeymoon was over. But it wasn't like the honeymoon's over like, oh, no, this is this is work. It was like, this is work. This is awesome. <laughs> nice. Like I have all this responsibility. I'm learning as I go. I'm a big believer in, in uh, experiential learning. I'm not even really sure there's another way to learn, to be honest with you. Say, it, say that again. I just want my students, if you're listening and you're my student, did you hear what was just said? Say it again. I'm a big believer in experiential say, learning. What is that? Say it again. Explain it. Pretend people don't know what you mean. What do you say mean, it, Yeah, what do you mean by sure. that, Kerry? Learn by doing. Okay. So, yeah. Doing so, in the particular weeds. Yes. I just of, want to uh, exclamate that. So, you, I think you it's knew so information and then you did action and applied that action mm-hmm. to the information you knew. And mm-hmm. somehow this created right. really and I did a lot of learning. And I did a lot of that action without confidence. Mm. That's great. I, That's great. Because I had, because I had, I had, I had, listen, I was a screenwriter who was smart enough to know that I needed to learn how to do other things. And I was smart enough to know to Google those things. And then I was, uh, confident and humble enough to do those things without knowing how to do them. So I had yeah, done the perfect. research and I had learned how to do yes. it and I wasn't super, but I did well, you know, and, and, um, I, I, I constantly told people on that set and these were working actors. These are, there was one name talent on that, on that, um, web series that like people would probably know or have seen. And then other people that people would recognize. Mm-hmm. So these are veterans of the industry who are working and I'm like, listen, Hey, I just got out of film school. I've actually never AD'd before. Um, so like, you know, just forgive me if, if anything doesn't go super smoothly. And I just said it like that. I wasn't trying to be falsely humble. I wasn't trying to be overconfident. I'm just like kind of learning this as I go, but I was in the military so I can kind of lean on the discipline of, of that. And that's what an assistant director does is, um, is, you know, keeps people, uh, on time and, um, in line. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I just, I leaned on the, uh, cumulative aspects of all my experiences as a working adult and, and just poured them into that and, uh, and yeah, just did it. So I was in the weeds and I loved it. I wasn't getting paid. Um, I'm also a big believer in doing free work. Um, I, I know that's not a comp. That's not a, a no, yeah. I think, it, I think that's real, man. Yeah. It's, I, it's yeah. also necessary. Yeah. I mean, I, I speak a lot to my students and I, I really push back against free work because I think there's an, there's an, uh, there's a, there's a way that people that are already established can sometimes exploit new Without question. people in the field by saying, Oh, it's free work. And it never actually, it, it doesn't actualize into something else, right? The, the promises aren't there. It's hollow. So I push back in that respect, but it's, I wouldn't have, I, I, I couldn't have done my job. I couldn't do the work I do now if mm-hmm. I hadn't had a huge bulk of free work right. at the front end. I think it's a relation. So, so see, this is good. This is see in, see in y'all's categories that it's a, it's you're contending in my space, it's always free work. Right. Right. Because yeah. I, have yeah, to, yeah, I yeah. have to determine yeah. to, to, I'm like, I got this project I'm going to propose to myself right. that I think has implications for X or Y mm-hmm. or whomever. Right. Yeah. And so then you necessarily determine to do that and you invest in that upfront without a guarantee of return and, mm-hmm. and possibly nobody who gives a rip. I mean, you know, like I had a, you know, so, um, Independent filmmakers do that too, though. Right, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. So no doubt. Yeah. So, um, but I'm saying you may contend with the feel yeah. of of the lack or whatever 
differently, and but that's where we could learn from each other. Because because yes. I'd like uh, you know I, I feel like there's a lot of aspiring industry artists that uh, uh, don't want to just make things first. Not like real. do an independent yeah. film first. You see what I'm saying? Like yeah. they really want the assurance first, sure. and it's like they're the ones that never make it. Right. Um, I mean, I mean, in the experiences of teaching at a, at a university yeah. for like the last 13 years, yeah. I've seen that there's these two. There's two dominant streams that play themselves out. There's stories like you're saying, and you're sitting here, and then there's the rest of the people that are still at home waiting, mm-hmm. and they haven't. It's like, well, have you have you written a script? Are you mm-hmm. ready to make a film? Mm-hmm. And it's like, no. Right. Well, no, I'm not ready yet. It doesn't, you know, yeah. Yeah, I mean, the cliche is true. You never will be ready, really. Do you know what yeah, I mean? Like, yeah, you just yeah, have yeah. to get in and do it. And yeah. I was telling Gareth yesterday, those first two scripts that I talked about that I went out to L.A. with, we made, we eventually made them with the crew that I met on this on this uh, web series. And then I did a feature film with them afterwards. And I built those relationships. We made those two short films. And I mean, this, I mean no disrespect to that crew, but uh, those two films are not good. Right. I, they're no longer available on the internet for anyone to see. Right. They played festivals like they did fine, but they don't live up to the standards that I have now set for myself yeah. in the films that I've made since. So it's more than just like, are you ready to write a script and are you ready to make a film? It's like, are you ready to do it poorly? Yeah. A couple yeah, yeah, times. Yeah, yeah. Yep. And then are you ready to be good? And then maybe, maybe yeah. be great. And even then maybe not, are you just willing to just keep doing it and yep. chugging along and like putting in the work? If you're, if you are great. Yeah. Stop listening to this. And go do it. That's right. And if mm-hmm. you know, and if you're not, yeah. then you're not. You never. I got, will a, be. I got a whole bunch of paintings and work that I've said are just going to be burned when I die. Mm-hmm. Like I need to get this in writing too, because I don't want people looking back at certain things sure. that are just like tucked away. I'm yeah. like, yeah, yeah. No one ever needs to see that. Right. <laughs> but I'm not. But you're not not proud of it. No, right? no. It, it was it was necessarily a yes. part of the process. Right. So you can't you can't. I don't want to edit out the story. Of course. It's just that nobody needs to see it. Yeah. It, it functioned in the story. It yep. served some, even some of those pieces won awards for me, Yeah, but they're just not things that I think you need to see. They mm-hmm. don't need to go, you know, post-mortem into a collection somewhere or something. Yeah. I've sure. got a, you I know. got a box of magazines I designed that, um, yeah, I'm not putting up on a website, uh, you yeah. know, and students, students ask this and like early career designers will say like, well, you know, how does this stuff work in relation to like more portfolio? Because some people might be hearing that are early in their career and hearing what you're saying, Carrie, about like, oh, you can't find those films anywhere. And they're like, but, but what, well, how, but you, they should be there, right? Like it's your work, it's your portfolio. And it's like, no, like if you're, if, if you're in art and design, you have, you should have, let me say this. You should have uh, some ability to understand uh, the act and necessity of curation, right? In your own work and how you deal with it through your process. Um, and the same holds true for your professional persona, your face, right? Um and it's, uh, you know, so there's, I don't know, I, I think maybe you can see 10 to 15% of my total body of work on the online right now. And that's, oh, even, yeah. I mean, like I'm oh, talking yeah. about like you go digging like 30 pages into Google to find stuff and it, you still only find about 15%. That's true. Of it. Me too. Yeah. Most of what I've done, you have, you, you can't find it like on my website or whatever. And it's yeah. not like, it's, it's not this thing where I'm like, oh, all that was crap and I'm totally embarrassed of it but it's not really indicative of the person I've become. Like there's, there's something highly dynamic about human beings. And because of that, there's going to be a dynamism to my portfolio and the way in which I show my work as I move forward with future clients or future projects. It's a, it's a milestone. Like you, you and I often talk Gareth about the life cycle of a project, you know, and you'll write like from ideation all the way to uh, awards at the end that you might receive or might not receive. doesn't matter. You're not working towards that, mm-hmm. but that is the end of the life cycle of, of, of whatever project it is that you're working on. And 
Uh, so, but your body of work also has a, a life cycle. And one of the milestones on that life cycle on that journey is, uh, trimming the fat, you know, yeah, and it's a yeah. great, it's a great yeah, it's feeling like getting in shape or something. Yeah. You know? I mean, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. You're not, not disregarding it. It's just, no. it doesn't, doesn't, doesn't primarily live now. It served its purpose in the life cycle such that it actually fades back to the back. Yeah. And you've so. probably grown as a creator cause it's, 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 it's not even, and maybe reframing it away from this is not good and I don't want you to see it, but maybe it's like I've moved in this direction as a creator. Yeah. And so I'm like, you're saying I'm curating my portfolio in order to get this kind of work or to work with these kinds of filmmakers or to work with these kinds of clients. And so, you know, I have to adjust just like you have to adjust a resume for every thing that you're every job that you're applying for every opportunity you're applying for, or you have to write a different grant for every grant for every project that you're applying for. You have to kind of adjust your portfolio accordingly. You know, how, how do you want the world to see yeah, you as an artist? And I think it, even that, even talking about that, I think pushes back towards what we're talking about, the very, uh, the very real nature of how relational we really are and how, mm-hmm. how, how much of a necessity that is, right? Mm-hmm. Like, like you're talking about, we, you know, um, being in uh, the academy, you know, grant funding is something that we, we do um, as teachers, uh, as uh, makers, you know, and, and every grant has like a, a slightly different twist to it. So even if you're applying the same project for three different grants, your, your cover letter and your narrative are going to be slightly different because mm-hmm. it's a different relationship with that group, with that organization. And it, it holds true there, uh, holds true with every client I've ever had, mm-hmm. right? That my, I bring the same skill set to every project I have. But that doesn't mean that that's the way that it's positioned with the client. Some things will move to the front of the line. Some things will fall back. Um, and that isn't, there's nothing like fake or false about that, but it very much is understanding that other people are a huge part of what we do. They have to be. Yeah. Maybe in a, in a sideways, I was thinking, you know, so you're talking about this, like in, um, you know, so, so take, take, Take this whole situation, all like even us just sitting here right now. Um, when I so like our documentary, I've never thought I'd direct a film or even have a desire to make a film. Mm-hmm. And so, whether it ultimately is good or bad remains to be seen in terms of how it's digested. And um, I feel good about it as it stands currently, but we'll see. Um, so, but that picture, to your point, is um, meeting someone that actually is like a, a builder. And um, met that person because of other relationships that I had developed prior to that point, right? And so then you meet this person, he ends up being uh, a serious art collector in a kind of shocking or surprising way to myself personally. And so then um, you fast forward and things work themselves out and we've bartered a couple times and, you know, I'm standing in my studio space that I have now, my, new, my, my newish home that we purchased a couple years ago. And I'm like, dude, I'm going to some point I'm going to write a documentary about you, man. Like, I think this is a story that needs to be told and I'm going to do it. And so then, um, I have no know how I've never done, done this directly at all. Right. And so then, um, you know, fast forward and Gareth and I are, you know, uh, Gareth's come back into Richmond, you know, a little more, uh, permanently. And, um, we're both cooking up similar ideas, but from our own vantage points without knowing it. So we start talking in the same space that this guy, Don built out. And I'm like, yeah, man, I want to, I want to do a production studio. Like I got these goals and he's like, man, I got these goals too. And then, you know, like a couple of months later or something, I'm like, dude, I think I got it. I think we got to do a podcast. 
I, I was like, I feel like there's a podcast that needs to happen in order to help launch this art journal I want to do. And he's like, dude, I've been wanting to do a podcast where I just bought this stuff. And I'm like, what? <laughs> so we started doing a podcast, right? So this is going somewhere. So then, you know, there's some other people. Well, and also unbeknownst to you, he was talking to me uh, uh, when he was, vi- he and his, his family were visiting uh-huh. around that time. And I was telling him about, I was like, yeah, I think I want to start a podcast. And he's like, dude, so am I. Like, what are you looking at? Like, what yeah. are you, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's like this weird, right? Yep. So so you look at these like little incidentals that are maybe not so incidental. And so then, so then, you know, we start doing the podcast thing and it goes quite well. And then that becomes, uh, this important fact in galvanizing doing the film because the podcast got us an opportunity with current art fair, which created a time frame and a possibility because they're like, we'd like to show this. And part of the genesis of the film for me was being at the last current art fair and seeing how anemic people's understanding of collecting art had become or, or even just the wherewithal to appreciate it or, or see its value play itself out in a, a lot of different ways. And it's like, I see problems that we can solve if we're willing to start to put some work towards uh, inviting more people into the process. Mm-hmm. So all these things are converging and I'm thinking it's never going to happen. I talked to Don and, and, you know, it's, you know, in his mind, it's like, that's just an idea you kicked around. And then, you know, one day he calls me and I'm like in the summer and he goes, Hey dude, you know, when am I going to get that painting that you owe me? <laughs> and I'm like, soon, man, I think uh, we're actually going to do the po- We're actually gonna do the documentary. And he's like, what? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, it's going, it's actually happening. And so Nick, you know, uh, made a joke video about a, a mutual friend of ours and I'm going, going to their home later today. And I saw that and I've been working with Nick for years now. And, and it was the fact that he took initiative to do something that no one told him to do and executed to the extent that he did. And so then I'm like, that's how I know he's the guy to work with for this project, for this particular project. And so then, then he comes on board work, Gareth and I are cooking all kinds of stuff up. All of a sudden everything is swirling and we've been like, you can't separate out the parts. Right. And they flow yeah. through like there's no documentary without a podcast mm-hmm. right now. And there's no current art fair in the way that we are involved with it without without the podcast and a documentary. You see yeah. what I'm saying? Yes. But there is no documentary and there is no discussions that we're having unless there wasn't this contingency of people that even helped us get a home. Yeah. Um, so all that to say to you is like there's all the the desires that you're putting out there and there's a way you're paying or the way I'm paying attention in my own personal sphere and trying to notice people and, you know, be, be sincerely engaged in building community, building relationships, having a vision and even being um, willing to naively put out what you want to do without the know-how to do it mm-hmm. necessarily, without the qualifications. As a guy with two master's degrees, I don't have, I know what it looks like to be uh, validated by an institution and therefore supposedly qualified or, or truly qualified mm-hmm. to, to feel the lack of that in other areas where I haven't made. Yeah. And so, but here we are. And the, you know, the film is up and running and it's, you know, it's done. It's crazy. Yeah. You know, it's so, crazy... you know, you know, Nick is the director of photography for the project yeah. that we were just yeah, yeah. referencing earlier, Gareth and I. So what you're, you're not describing, that was a great uh, kind of succinct way to put uh, all of this together. You're not describing a network of professionals. You're describing um, vulnerable individuals who have built relationships with each other. That's right. You know, yep. like... Yeah, it's just, I mean, that that's it. Like, that's yeah. it. Like, how did you phrase it? Like, you said naively putting out uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. a desire to do something you don't think you might be qualified to do. Like, that's, right. that's being vulnerable with a friend. Right. Somebody that you trust. Yep. And then 
been like, hey, let me put this out there and then see what happens. And you're not orchestrating that. It's yeah. just because you've built those relationships and because you're comfortable enough with yourself to be vulnerable and you're comfortable enough with Gareth to be vulnerable, then this uh, 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 energy starts to concentrate uh, around you. Yep. Do you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, 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 yeah. And I think that's, you know, I think, so the the imperative is to actually to go out and be and know each other. Like you yeah. can't, like it's it's hard to communicate otherwise. That you, it just stuff doesn't happen uh, apart from that. Well, and and a huge a huge piece of that is I, I think it has to be said that that you're not always that's not always going to go well. Hundred oh, percent. There are yes. so many people that I uh, tried to do that with, and mm-hmm. it didn't work out. Yep. Some of it was my fault because yep. you know I was a jerk, and um, some of it uh, just didn't work out because it you know whatever just not it aligned. Just and like out. that's fine. Yeah, yeah, 100%. And other other things are. Because another person was a jerk, yeah. but you know, you can't. That's that's the vulnerable part is right. being willing to keep at the process of building relationships with people that you want to do work with. Yeah, uh, knowing that uh, it's not you're not always going to be successful, and that's really gonna it's gonna hurt. Yeah, like it's really gonna hurt. Yeah, there's actual. It's not a safe spot. No, it's, it's actually gonna be real con- consequential. Yeah, and, and so I've had plenty of uh, failed or non-start collaborations and yeah. projects with people. All the way back to my time in Sacramento and prior to that, yeah, that people take advantage of me. I've, I mean, I've had where everybody's excited about it, but nobody else has the the wherewithal to do the work. Yeah, so they want you to just do it all. Right. Um. I mean, I've lived in. You know, I'm sure all of us have. You know, and there's been times where I've been a jerk and hard to be around. Sure. Um. Because I was immature and and also struggle with trusting other people. So you start to hold on to your 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 stuff. It's yeah. like it's mine. I got to guarantee it goes that way. And, right. You know, so it's also a maturation thing. I always feel like, you know, the the stuff that Gareth and I've been doing and Chicago Art Space started in 2011 and but it couldn't go any further without Gareth coming on board in Cali and and the team that we have, uh Sam and, you know, Shane and, you know, Drew Cassie, there's Nick and Rachel and Meredith. Um I forget anybody. Um that's near everybody. Curtis has helped out in the past. There's yeah. a lot of people. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so there's a point where Laura and I couldn't do anymore. And you're just like, I can't do anymore by myself mm-hmm. with what I, like I necessarily, and it, it has to be people that actually <clears throat> form a care. Yeah. They have to have skin in the game. Yeah. They got to have skin in the game. Yeah. You got to see it. You got to be tough enough to do it when no one's telling you to do it. Yep. You got to get tough. Yep. But I think also, I mean, the, the um, something with this as well is that, um, we talked earlier about how David you know, and Ashley. Sorry, oh, my yeah. mind. I got yeah, David and Ashley. You're gonna feel so guilty. I know, dude. <laughs> like, yeah. I know. I'm sorry, David yeah. and Ashley. We love you. Yeah, you, you said they're it, yeah. huge part of the the book project we're doing. So yeah, for real. Um, but it's it, it's also this. Um, you know, we were talking earlier about. Um, I mean, Carrie and I talked about this yesterday. The the, the folks like you mentioned, Ryan, who are Hannah. wanting wanting to start. <laughs> just keep <laughs> dropping the names in as we go. Uh that you know are are wanting to start stuff and are really chomping at the yep. bit to get going down the road. And there's other folks who are looking to be a part of that team and maybe you don't have the surety to like really step mm-hmm. into a project of their own. Like that's all there. Mm-hmm. And we have to understand that uh the ones of us in the in the group who very much have like this kind of whatever it is, this internal drive that kind of feels like it's dragging us to do more work mm-hmm. and want to be more involved and we get yep easily bored and and you know irritated when we don't have our hands in a few projects like those of us like it's actually very important for us to be moving because that momentum is going to be very um attractive to the folks who are looking for the project yeah, that's right? the generative piece we've talked about in the past it starts right. to generate opportunity for others and if you're open to inviting them in then, then you start to gain a like you said like that energy kind of like comes together and and it's actually then becomes productive to whatever extent it's going to be whether it's a learnable experience that transfers into the more meaningful 
sort of pop, uh, uh, public facing outcome or, you know, and, and it largely just is internalized or it actually becomes the thing that people are like, Oh, that's the, that's it. Like we're, we're ready to roll. You know? Yeah. Cause I think, I mean, if we, if you want to like uh, step heavy into like, uh, like the physics or the science of stuff, right? You know, the difference between potential and momentum. Yeah. Um, and we've talked about in the past, like about momentum and it's like space within art and design mm-hmm. and what it does. And I think what this is kind of getting at is that that momentum actually becomes highly attractive, almost magnetic mm-hmm. uh, to other people. They're like, oh, you're doing things like I want to be involved with that. Yep. Oh, it's, it's like this is actually going because the hardest thing that you can ever do in art and design is not go through art school. It's not trying to find clients. It's not starting a business. It's, uh, uh, starting your work, uh, yeah. just starting, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, because it is that change for potential to momentum. Right. And, you know, so even if we look at it in the, in the physics sense of it, that is where the majority of the work is much easier to keep a moving body in motion, much harder to have enough action happen mm-hmm. to a stationary body to get it moving. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where a lot of people will flounder because they'll have the idea and they think the idea is the start, but they don't understand that the action that propels the idea into the world is mm-hmm. actually the yeah. start. Ideas yeah. are useless. Yeah. You know, Hemingway said writing's not hard. All you have to do is sit down at a, at a typewriter and bleed. <laughs> yeah. Do you thanks, know what I mean? Thanks, like, yeah. I, I, yeah, yeah. I can tell you that I've literally sat as a screenwriter. I've sat at the blinking curtain. I'm sure you've done this yep. uh, at a canvas. I've sat and stared at a blinking cursor and cried my eyes out because mm-hmm. I have an idea, but I have no idea how to, how to execute it. I mean, I stare at, yeah, just even there's a, there's a writing. I mean, I relate even more directly even just with writing. Like I am loaded with ideas, but distilling them into yeah. clarity and just staring and going, uh, yeah. And that's a lie that resistance is telling you that it has to come out fully formed. Yep. And you know, it's, that's, we know intellectually that that doesn't work that that's way. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but we have to, you know, we have to work our way into feeling, um, take action, you know? Right. Yeah. And it's, uh, we, um, I talk with folks a lot about methodology versus process and I'm very much about methodology processes are usually smaller internal things that fit into larger methodologies. And so I talk about it within sports. Uh, you're a baseball player. Your process is to sit there and go through BP and you're working on your mechanics. When do your hips shift? When do you open up? When do you use your follow through happen with the bat? That's your process. Now, if that's all you did to prepare, you're never going to be a major league baseball player because you have to think situationally, which becomes the methodology, right? So when I'm at the plate and I have my mechanics down, but then I see a shift in the outfield, how do I know what to do with that ball? How do I know how to adjust my process to fit what's going on? And that's methodology, right? And so, um, I think that sometimes we can get so process oriented with our work because it's a big part of what we, what we do within like any sort of creative school, right? We focus on a lot of process. Well, what is this and how does it work? Um, that once we start to get into the context or the place where the methodology is huge, that's really, I think where a lot of the experiential learning comes from. So once you hit LA and you said you got into the weeds immediately, like you were now into the methodology of the process that mm-hmm. you had learned. Mm-hmm. So now you were there rubber meets road having to figure it out. And that's a tough place to be hugely vulnerable by necessity because there's probably a lot of anxiety in most of the situations. Mm-hmm. We're confronted with the reality that we may not know everything that we wish we did. Um, and there has to be some sort of internal confidence that comes from a desire and a passion to tell the story above all things, to uh, make the painting, to do the work that you're, you're driven by something that's more than just the desire to kind of be the AD you know, but also to be the person who's putting it out there because what you have to put out there is important. 
And by AD, you're not talking about Anthony Davis with the Los Angeles Lakers. fit is 2015, so just to any of my LA friends that no. are excited about the Lakers right now. Sorry. AD was a sophomore in uh, high school at that point, right? Yeah. 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 No, he was at he was was the Pelicans. 2015, he was, he's, uh, he's been playing for five or six years. Now. Has he? Okay. Yeah. yeah. Anyhow. Yeah. Just, just, you know, I know that was like really confusing for everybody so i just wanted to <laughs> totally not do i have to come up with a sports analogy now? no you don't <laughs> have third to. One? i just had to yeah we i mean i think triads are good so. i was gonna say we're waiting <laughs> on the trifecta so. yeah, we, yeah you so just let us know bring hockey into the equation <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah that, that gets that'll get silence on this mic completely once you bring in hockey, yeah hockey like, is, I, i'm out yeah, of my depth it's man. crickets man are you so so when you're you're in la you, you finish mm-hmm. this project how does that how does that land you in new york how do you how do you get to New yeah, York? Yeah, so um, finished that project, and that crew was uh, that crew had already been hired to uh, go to the southern tip of Illinois, Metropolis, Illinois, to shoot um, an ultra low budget uh, indie horror film, and they needed um, a second AD for that. And so I'd done a good enough job ading this web series that they called the other the producers that had hired them and said like, "Hey, can we get this guy on?" And I got paid for that, not a lot, uh, but I, you know I went from unpaid uh, to uh, paid something. And then, so we uh, literally, we wrapped at 5 a.m. Uh, on our like 15th day of shooting this web series and then got in a van and drove from L.A. to uh, uh, Metropolis, Illinois. If you've never been to Metropolis, Illinois, um, it's like a place I want to take my wife back at some point. It lives, yes. it's, it's Metropolis. Have yes. you been there? Yeah, I had yeah. family lived right outside of it. Oh, really? Okay, cool. So it's like if you're a comic book fan, if you're mm-hmm. a DC fan, if you're a Superman fan, it's really cool because it's super kitschy yes. and like... Um, There's a giant I got Sufjan, Sing, Sufjan Stevens in the back of my head right yeah, now. Yeah. Saying, Come on, Philly, Illinois, and yeah. the Metropolis CD cover. No, for real. Yeah, yeah. Like I think in front of a grocery store, there's like a 30 foot tall Superman statue. Yeah, or something. yeah, yeah. yeah. I, think I might have. I think I have a picture of that on my Instagram. But anyway, the uh, um, so we did that, and uh, that went really well. That I I um, if I 10x my skill set on the web series, I 100x my skill set on on that feature. So. It was cool because I went to be the second AD because the director of the web series was the first AD on um, on the feature. And so we just kind of both bumped down a little bit. Um, but then we didn't have a production manager on this on this uh, feature film. So that was that became my role. So, you know, production managing is uh, scheduling the entire shoot, scheduling each shoot day, like figuring out, uh, you know, hotel and transportation, like all this stuff. And this is an ultra, ultra low budget indie film. We're talking mm-hmm. about like a $100,000 budget, which is mm-hmm. nothing. So uh, almost no resources. And uh, we're shooting in this old warehouse that they were going to. It was an old uh, wire coat hanger factory that they were going to tear down after we shot. Mm. Very dangerous. A lot of asbestos, all that good stuff. <laughs> um, but um, so I learned because I was working directly with the director and the screenwriter, I actually learned tangibly what they always tell you in film school and what you always hear about uh, screenplays, which is that everything in a screenplay costs money mm. and not like from a capitalistic standpoint of like, this is this expensive and this is not right. but it's like everything that's in a screen screenplay is the Bible. Everything, everybody reverts back to the screenplay. So whatever's written down in that scene has to be there when you shoot it. And then it affects how you schedule what scenes to shoot. And, and so I kind of, I deconstructed this screenplay with this screenwriter and like really saw it for the blueprint that it was and then put it into, um, uh, production practice, which Mm. was an awesome, awesome experience. So 
I went through that, um, did that, went back to LA, uh, made uh, our, the two short films that I uh, took uh, the short screenplays out there with, went out there with, and was out there for like 18 months total, and then reconnected with my now wife, um, who uh, is li- was living in New York, and we had wrapped, uh, we'd wrapped that, our, our second short film, and I had a friend out there who's also from the Midwest, and he he and I were talking about like dating in LA and how hard it is, uh, especially you know kind of like being from the Midwest and having uh, certain expectations on on the dating process. And he's like, "Man, you bring up this uh, this woman Andrea a lot uh, whenever we talk about like dating." He's like, "What's the deal with that?" And I'm like, "All right, well, we, just, we just just wrapped this short." So I told him like the one hour long version of our of our love story. We've known each other since we were. Uh, 14 freshman in high school and then up to this point I'm like I finished the story and like all the ups and downs peaks and valleys and at the end of it I'm like oh okay yeah that's that's like that's a real thing that I need to pursue again and so I texted her and then we reconnected and then so she was living in New York working in education at the time I'm living in LA working in production either one of us could have moved because you can go teach out sure. in LA or you can go be in production out in uh, New York and so we did a couple of visits back and forth. I took one visit to New York, spent one week there, um, and I'm I'm like I'm sold. I'm like I'm I'm in. Um, and then I'd actually because you can eat more and walk around <laughs> yeah, yeah. and burn more calories. Exactly. So in New York, I could eat more and I wouldn't be overweight. <laughs> exactly Whereas right. in Richmond, I'm struggling with my weight. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. So true. Dang it. Yeah, I think about that all the time. Um, and then th- 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 around that time, she had connected me with a friend of hers. Uh, a friend of a friend who uh, was in branded content production. So he was working at uh, what used to be Time Inc. Studios, what's now the foundry at Meredith. Uh, Meredith Corporation bought them out. And I like directed some uh, sort of like direct to camera teleprompter type stuff for this, uh, for the Time for Kids and like Disney XD, like one of their channels or something like that. And so then I was in the process of visiting New York and talking to him and working with him out in LA. And he and I spent a few days together. And he was like, you know, you can you can do this for a living instead of waiting tables and tending bar and still mm. pursue independent film. So you can yeah, do the good. commercial side of this. Um, and branded content was kind of coming up branded entertainment, this digital right. arm of, um, of, uh, of the commercial space was like really coming into its own. And it's a great way to tell stories and learn the craft and keep getting better. And so that experience combined with spending a week in New York with Andrea, I'm like, I'm in, like, don't move to LA. Like, yeah. I, don't, I don't even like it that much out here. Like, I'm, I'm coming to New York. And so, um, yeah, so I think I had like uh, three months left on my lease or something like that. And I moved a few months later. Wow. So it's cool. Getting to New York is cool because it's both um, industry and craft driven and love driven. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's like the best combo of, of that, of the journey. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. It's a great story. Yeah. There it is. We do a whole other podcast on the entire story, but that's yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll bring you back for round two. We'll, <laughs> yeah, and we do our love. Yeah. We'll do a we'll do a February Valentine's <laughs> yeah, love story, art and design yeah. love story series. Yeah. You know, like a little micro. Yeah, dude, tell I, us your love stories. I actually like that. actually kind of pretty good. Actually, kind of be pretty good. Yeah. It'd be nice, my, my especially we, we we spent half this conversation talking about relationships. Yeah, the stories. It's like <laughs> it's, it's, it's the story series. Yeah, yeah, yeah the yeah. story series. Yeah, yeah, yeah. stories of of stories. Well, but even on that note, I mean, like we're, you know, one of the projects that we're doing right now is we uh, collaborated with Garethon. He, he did design the um, titles and poster for a short film that we made that um, I acted in and produced and edited and my wife wrote and directed. And it's loosely based on our, our characters. 
or, or I'm sorry, ourselves, the characters are loosely based on us and even then not really loosely. So what we're actually <laughs> doing, and we, we realize that that short film is done really well on the festival circuit and has done really well. Um, Which just, film is that? It's called Crushing It. Okay. Um, it's available online, so people yep. we can it's put fantastic. a link in the show notes or something. Yes, we definitely will. Um, people can go watch it. It's uh, it's on. It's been distributed by two uh, short film uh, curation websites, and then a third one in November. Um, it's going to go live. So it's done really well. And what we realized is it's actually a pilot for a web series for us to go back to that love story and revisit the things about ourselves and use our real story to tell this new story. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it, it is relevant. <laughs> you yeah, know what I mean? Yeah, it, yeah, it's, yeah. it's all things are relevant. Kind of all things are on the table when you're, uh, when you're a writer and a producer, you know, and you're directing or whatever it is. I think of the, uh, the guy, the right Steve Levitan who writes uh, Modern Family. Mm-hmm. Um, he tells a story in one of these one of these behind the scenes things that I watched. Uh, he tells a story about uh, getting laying down in bed with his wife at the end of a day, and she had watched the latest episode, and she goes, "How dare you!" <laughs> <laughs> and he was like, "It was funny, I, you know." Like yeah. He had yeah, taken yeah. something directly from their lives and put it on screen right. for everybody to see. Right, right, right. You know, so yeah. beware what you say. <laughs> Absolutely, I, I've been thinking about that the whole time. I'm like. <laughs> Man, be careful what I say. Yeah. We, we could become a character. I'm yeah, like, we yeah, see yeah. A, a series of, of about two dudes doing a podcast. Yeah. <laughs> hey, this, this feels similar to something. This feels really weird. Something about this that feels yeah. familiar. Yeah. Uh, so that's great. I mean, I think it's, um, you know, so how do you, well, let's take a step back. Mm-hmm. Some folks that uh, may not be in your industry, like, um, can you flesh out a little bit like what you start talking about what is, what is branded content? What does that sure. mean? How do, where, who does that connect with? Like yeah. who leads that project? Like what's that look like? Yeah. So branded, branded content is a, is the digital, um, it's a, it's mostly digital, uh, mostly social media, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, um, directly embedded into certain, uh, brands and companies, websites. A lot of it is, um, paid media and like targeted advertising. So a lot of folks listening who hear about, um, like they'll be scrolling through Instagram or they'll see a pre-roll of something on the YouTube because they're, they're watching some other YouTube video, but then they're getting advertised to for this thing that they may have searched for on Google or liked on Facebook or whatever it is, that's going to be branded content. So, mm-hmm. um, the, the, there's paid media folks that are managing how to target people. And then there's us who are creating the content that, those people that are targeted see. Um, so that, that's what branded content is in a nutshell. It's evolving and growing. Yeah, um, definitely. And it's very, very cool. I love it because it's not, uh, it's never directly a commercial. Mm-hmm. It's never a, it's not like back to what we we're talking about at the beginning. It's never like, hey, buy this product. I'm selling you this product. What I'm really doing is I'm selling you the story and I'm telling you a story about people who are using this product. Or like in the case of like North Face, I think does great branded content. They almost, don't even sell their product at all. They just tell really, really dope stories about rock climbers or skiers or BMX bike jumpers or whatever it is. And then they're, you know, maybe their logos in the credits are like, maybe there'll be some, you know, really artsy rack focus to the North face logo on the side of the helmet or something like that. But brands are doing a really great job nowadays of just telling great stories and integrating their branding some other way, either through the, you know, the caption, the, you know, the social media caption or whatever it is. Um, like for instance, like weirdly Rolex, I did some things for Rolex, 
uh, and the uh, U.S. Golf Association and Rolex was a great client. They were like, do not show our logo. We're sponsoring this, but we're oh, not wow. trying to sell. This is about these amateur golfers that mm. are playing in this tournament. Like, and we made a little branded documentary about these amateur golfers out in LA actually. Mm. And, um, Rolex was really cool about it. They're like, we don't, this isn't a commercial for us. Like we're sponsoring it and all that, but like just tell a cool story about these golfers, these, you know, 19 year old kids that are trying to make it. Um, Hmm. So I think that kind of explains branded content in a nutshell. Yeah. That's interesting. There's a, a bit of a, it's a kind of a, um, a modified or it's a future forward expression of patronage yeah. for content and creativity. Yes. I mean, it's, it, so it, it's a line runs all the way back into art history, kind of going, come a full circle. Yes. If you really see the thread. And so it's a very, uh, timely and contemporary, uh, fluctuating state. Yeah that is uh, creating opportunity for um, um, support for content and work, mutually enhancing sort of endeavors. And it, it, I think that's fascinating to think about because I think a lot of folks are not there in their sense of, of how this can actually, like, like in other words, like even with us dealing with like, how do you fundraise for a nonprofit and how do we, you know, like you, you tend to fall into old grooves yes. or pre-existing grooves. It's yeah. like trying to go to a bowling alley and the grooves are so worn, it's difficult to bowl outside the grooves that right. have already been laid out. Um, but some of what you're saying kind of, kind of is fresh. I mean, it's, it definitely is uh, distinct. Yeah. Um, I don't know that it's talked about in academia so clearly in all places, you know? Yeah. I'm not, I'm not sure either. I, what, what I, what I do think is, is it, it, um, you know, you're getting really solid budgets to tell really great stories that are authentic. You're using real people a lot. A lot of times these brand, branded content is documentary style. Yeah. So it's real people. Yep. Um, I've done a few sort of narrative uh, fiction, but not a whole lot. It's mm -hmm. mostly real people. And so it's very authentic. And, you know, these brands are, are great. Mm -hmm. They're like, here's the money. Mm -hmm. And make something, make something that connects to the audience, mm -hmm. and um, it's a it's a great use of of dollars, and it's a great use of capitalism. I think, especially in a in a growing and changing economy uh, mm -hmm. that's becoming uh, almost exclusively digital, mm -hmm. um, and it uh, it really democratizes both the process because it gets people work, mm -hmm. um, and then it sort of also democratizes the uh, the sale of goods and services and especially now that all these um the internet has given so much power to uh small brands and local brands and uh local art spaces and local uh people in richmond can connect with people in oregon through the internet mm -hmm. so if you tell a great story and you do it you know in a cost-effective manner you can you can find the people that want to support you or you can find the people that want to support your brand or support your product or buy your product rather uh, based on shared ethics or based on shared culture or whatever it is. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I'm going to, I'm going to be large, like hugely assumptive here. Sure. Okay. Um, and I'm going to say that there is, I'm going back in my mind to when I was a student moving towards a creative career. If I'd have heard something like this, I may have had some major pushback and been like, so you're talking about something like heavily commercialized. Mm -hmm. So you've, you've got to be just kind of just letting some stuff ride because somebody is controlling your creative hardcore and you're not actually able to be, you know, I would be, I would go that cynical route mm -hmm. and be like, so you, how do you actually assume that you're going to make me believe that you're being creative in this work? Let alone not, you know, 
even even having the ability to confidently say that to recognize authenticity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know so, what I mean. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, Questioning whether or not that's possible for right. uh, for a, a merchant I, to do yeah, that. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. So yeah, like, yeah. so so real talk. Can yeah. you speak to that? Sure. It happens. It happens. I've I've had projects where clients got you know uh, control over almost every aspect of what you do, and that that happens. It happens uh, less often than you would than you would think, which is mm-hmm. good. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it varies from client to client, and a very and. I don't, when I say client, I, I don't just mean the corporation that's functioning as a client. I mean the individual person who's acting as the client, right? So sometimes what happens is you'll work with, um, well, break it down. So there's essentially three verticals that are functioning together to create this content. You have a production company, you have an advertising agency, and you have the marketing department, which functions as the client. Three very similar verticals. Each person kind of has a counterpart within within the other. Hierarchy is a better word than vertical. Uh, each person has a counterpart kind of within uh, each of those other hierarchies. What happens is sometimes people that are in a marketing department at, at a client, um, maybe they wanted to be uh, at an agency or maybe they wanted to be the creator at the production company and they either uh, didn't make it or just their road took them in a different direction, but now here they find themselves on a set with cameras and microphones and actors or people or like whatever, and a director, and like they wanted to do that and they are now gonna try to convince you how they think you should do it. And Mm. that's managing relationships, back to what we were talking about before. It's managing people, it's managing yourself, recognizing that, seeing that, understanding that. so that does it does happen. So it's it's more than just I think the uh, the mm, capitalistic concerns, and sometimes it's just the relational concerns of like, hey, this person really wanted to be a creative. They're not that creative, uh, so now they're in the marketing department um, at some corporation, and you're getting pushback directly from them, not from the corporation they represent. And mm. you just have to manage that. Other people are just great clients where they're either completely hands off or mostly hands off, and then they'll just be like. Hey, like, what about this? Or, hey, don't forget that we have to position it this way. I think you're doing a great job. You have to, I mean, I can think of one specific client uh, that I've worked with. It's the best client I've ever worked with. Just, you know, he's awesome because he just uh, knows what it is his job is and knows what our job was, and he let us do it. Um, and that happens more often uh, more often than it doesn't nowadays, which is great. That's great. So so then uh, like, let's take it a step further. Sure. So you've got all this uh, experiential knowledge and learning that you've gotten from working with these like big industrial clients with mm-hmm. big names and, and, and healthy budgets and things like that. So all the stuff that you're learning there, what have you dragged back into the, like the short films you're doing in right. the independent work? How, how is, how is that what we might see is like, you know, corporate work mm-hmm. actually influence or changing some of the way you've looked at your creative work? I don't know Good if it, questions. Yeah. Great question. I don't know if it's changed much about the way that I've looked about it, looked at it, but what I have, what I have done that what we have done because Andrea and I run this production company together now is uh, we bring in production value and bring in production resources from mm-hmm. from the co- commercial work from the branded work that we do. So a lot of times people find themselves working a lot in the commercial and branded space, um, and that's great. They make a great living. They get to be creative. They get to do their work uh, for a living. But what they don't often get to do is something that's completely creative and doesn't have a brand associated with it at all. Mm, yeah, I recognize that very early that there's a hunger in some of these people mm-hmm. and they have resources because they have cameras, they have lenses, they have lights, 
they have microphones, they have this, and they don't ever get the opportunity. And I'm like, okay, well, I don't have any of those things, and I'm not particularly interested in doing that aspect of the production. Yeah. But I've written scripts, we've written scripts, and we can produce and bring all these people together. So I go find those people. The people that I work with on these commercial sets, I'm like, hey, just so you know, literally, it goes like this, hey, just so you know, on the side, uh, we make short films in a web series. If you ever wanna devote a Saturday or a Sunday, like, let me know because, you know, we have this coming up or we're interested. if you ever have an idea, like, let us know. We can write it and make it, ha- make it happen. Not a lot of people respond to that, but enough people do that yeah. you end up being able to make some really great stuff. Um, and the production value is, is high. Production value is high because these are people that do this for a living and do it really well. And then the uh, relational value is really high because they want to be there, you know? Yeah, so it seems like, you know, with any of these projects, and I've experienced this as well, but just to kind of state something that hopefully is really obvious, it seems like putting some of the stuff you say together, all of these projects, if you're open to the learning that's able to be there, can actually be very helpful as you develop a career as a creative yes. within this. Because yeah. um, I know, you know, there are projects that I had more control over and projects I've had less control over, um, but I haven't tried to limit them to projects where I am the only person having input and that's the only way that I can learn to be better in my craft. Right. Um, I haven't, I haven't tried to work that way and I found that I've, I've made a lot of, um, I've gotten a lot of learning out of all the things. There's always something you can take away from a project, no matter how much you might feel like you weren't in the driver's seat. Right. Well, I think reps are reps, right? Like if you're, if you're <laughs> getting, if it, you're yeah. getting repetition reps, bro. Yeah, Exactly. <laughs> Exactly. One, one rep max. But Gains. like, you know, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Maybe don't walk as much after you eat the, if, right. after you eat, you know, it's, it's a, uh, it's a bulk season, but you know, it's like, uh, but you know, reps are reps. And so if you're getting, if you're getting these reps, wholesale branded content, exactly. if you're getting, um, if you're getting, <laughs> yeah. you're getting reps on a, I'm going to power through this. <laughs> if uh, you're power. getting, you're getting reps on, you got it. You got this. Take getting, this is reps. that learning experience. Getting, I'm exactly. To give you. Exactly. Uh, you're getting reps on commercial sets and getting reps on branding. You're yeah. learning the craft as you work because you're working. You're working. You're working. You're working. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know if it affects to like really answer your question from before. I don't know if it really affects the way that I see uh, the work that I do. If it changes the um, creativity of of the independent films that I make. But what it does is it's just I've what I used to, what used to happen was I used to go you know, weeks without months, without any time doing that work. And then I'm working towards, you know, two days shooting this short film, but I haven't had any reps up to that point. So I was starved for the opportunity to do the work. Mm -hmm. But now that I'm doing the work for a living on a regular basis, I'm just constantly getting those reps. So it's like when I get on an independent film set on a, on one of our creative sets, it's like, Okay, well, this is just work. Continuity. Yeah, continuity. Yeah, it's huge. That's big. Yeah. I mean, continuity is huge, right? Because I, <sighs> I tell students in my classes, I'm like, look, you're going to be, you're going to have to pay your bills, right? Sure. Would you rather pay your bills at a job that is something completely different than what you do or right. something that at least is utilizing the skill set? Yeah. You know, and it's a question because some people are like, no, I think I'd rather have my work here and the other stuff I do if I'm making ends meet, I'd rather that be something wholly different. And other students are like, no, I'd, I'd much rather. <laughs> make branded content and do creative short films, mm. you know, that they're very interrelated. Um, and it's different, but it's at least a question that I think is good to ask. Like, Definitely. uh, cause I think a lot of us will say, well, I, I know the career I want, but we, we maybe didn't get into some of the particulars about like, well, what do I want that to look like? Or what are the like myriad possibilities? 
right? Yeah, that they, these could you could put together the. Well, you see, it's seeing the potentials in, you know, I you know at a minimum, I'll tell people like, listen, if you're like a st- if you're struggling to get a job, get a job where someone gives you some responsibility. Yeah, like if you can get if they give you keys, then then you're building a resume. Like start that simple. Like what are the rhythms? What are the um, disciplines required to do? The bit of responsibility you've been given, and let that be a stepping stone into the next thing. And before you know it, you'll be you'll be in a situation that is more akin to where you want to go, or yeah. you'll start to be shaped in such a way that you realize I want to depart and go somewhere different. But a lot of times, with at least in, in my sort of you know, a lot of times with visual artists, there's a um, uh, a sense where um, too much repetition of a similar kind is exhausting when you come home. You know, so there's also these differences in terms of like where it actually galvanizes and or seasons of where it galvanizes or seasons where it depletes. And I think, you know, so there's these uh, seasons we're in where, you know, sometimes it's like, it's like, like Ian talking about painting, teaching painting and doing these like drunk night painting things with all these people that come and pay to learn how to paint flowers. And like, at some point it starts to become a mental drain on then going home and actually being a painter. Well, yeah, that's another aspect of continuity is continuity with the world. That's right. Um, that your work exists in and that you exist in, right? I've heard you talk often about friends that you have that either don't know your artists or know your art, you're an yep. artist and don't talk, you don't talk about that because that's, right. that's not what they're interested in. Yep. And you're trying to maintain that kind of continuity where you're like, yes, I right. just want to talk about, you know, sports or yep. whatever it gains, might be. Gains, reps. Yeah, gains, reps. Taco Bell. For yeah. sure. Gains, gains, reps, and Taco Bell. Yeah. <laughs> that's the new Bears beats Battlestar Galactica. Right. <laughs> Gains reps Taco, Taco Bell. Bell. I mean, um, hey, who knows? That may be the show name. We'll, we'll see. What happens. Yeah, but yeah. but uh, but that's um, that's key, and uh, I'm glad yeah. I'm glad you brought that up because, um, again, back to restaurants and and back to the the survival jobs that people do um, connects you to the world. That's right. And and if and if you're not connected to the world, you're not going to make great art because yep. you can't make it in a vacuum. Like for instance, like I'm a freelancer right now. And I just applied for this gig that uh, is project management, Mm -hmm. uh, exclusively project management for uh, an internal client. So the work will never see uh, the light of day, so to speak. And it's not really creative because I'm in one of those seasons right now where it's like we're writing this web series. Mm -hmm. I'm getting the reps because I want to turn crushing it into something Um, we're we're working. Three of us are going to be working on some projects. So I'm like, I'm in a season now. I'm like, no, I just want to go get some reps at doing uh, work yep. then relating to people and being in a different environment yep. and learning something new. Yeah, that's and dope. yeah, that's awesome, man. Yeah. I, I love that you're saying that. I think that's, uh, I mean, there's like these like things you want to magnify for, for, for make, for makers. I use that as a pejorative, like just people making things and broadly speaking, cause I, I think it, it's so, uh, essential like it's like yesterday y'all came into the class and this discussion was going on and people were like well i want to do everything and it's like well you can't do everything in a moment but in, you got to elongate it over a life span if you're fortunate enough to have one you gotta chunk it out you gotta chunk it out yeah and you got to be willing to lay things down for a season and take other things up because you, you're just not going to be able to do the simultaneous thing you are not the internet in and of itself like you're not holding yeah. all this information together in one static expression you know what i mean it's yeah. just Temptation for people to be paralyzed ever more so by um, a multitude of possibilities and um, and kind of coming into contact with that constantly all at once it just paralyzes people, yeah. um, which I think is where you get some of the phenomena of hedging your bets mm-hmm. um, is like you, you, you want to. I don't know. You want to image a certain level of success before you've ever even acquainted yourself with the process or 
you know, understanding like why it is you even have impulses to make what you want to make. Um, but what I love is you've been making. And so then that frees you into spaces where you're like, I want to dabble in this or I want to sort of situate myself in this space with this like stuff that's not going to be seen project managing. Cause I know that there's intangibles I'm going to pick up right. that have import back into this other thing. That's to me, that's what vision is. Yeah. So it's the way that your uh, scope widens and you start to see the whole such that you start to better navigate the parts yep. and, and you can see perceived value in the parts that you can uh, willingly or volitionally step forward into uh, where the odds appear to be in, in your favor in terms of what you can obtain from that. Yeah. Um, and I think that lack of vision, so I think vision also though comes from, you know, do what you talked about, which is the embodied learning that happens, experiential knowledge that is acquired through experience of doing starts to cultivate the potential to have actually have a vision with reference to real things, as opposed to an abstract vision that is divorced from things. So then it's totally not plausible. Does not move you to action? It just keeps you static going, well, I, I want to do this. I see it. it's a dream, yeah. but it's not correspondent with, or it's at least it's sentimental. It doesn't contend with real challenges and obstacles and right. You got Plato on your shoulder telling you like, you're never going to live up to the ideal in the sky. So you may as well, you know, yeah. Yeah. But I, one thing I've tried to do intentionally on the, on the, you know, quote unquote creative side on the independent film side is every short film I've made has been a different genre. Mm. Everything I've written has been a different genre up to this point. Mm -hmm. I'm starting to repeat a little bit now, but I did that intentionally because I wanted to practice what I learned, Mm -hmm. you know, each of, Full sales education, fine arts degree in creative writing for entertainment. Uh, there's a, a, a six month section where you are trained in all of the genres, each mm-hmm. in, of them individually. So I learned that. So I'm like, okay, cool. Like, let me go make. And like, I learned the theory behind all that and the history right. of it. Like, let me go try to make it. Some of them are better than others. Um, and then now I'm kind of learned like, oh, I work really well in this genre. Mm-hmm. And it might not be something that, you know, I would have, uh, envisioned for myself yeah. um, had I just thought about it instead of just doing it along yeah. the way, you know, yeah. in your, in your vision of your, your shorts, how much does the visual feel and look come into play based on your resources, mm-hmm. based on production? In other words, there's, there's production aesthetic. Yeah. How much, how much are you thinking about that or how much can you afford to think right. about that? based on your situation. Yeah, so I'm a big believer in putting as many constraints on yourself as possible. Uh, so for shorts, uh, we tend to, um, I tend to write with one location, two to four actors max, um, and a story that can be shot in one to two days. So one location, one day, four actors max. Um, and then use what you have. We've shot in our own apartment. We've We've shot in two apartments that we've lived in three total times, um, two films in one apartment, totally different um, genres, totally different um, uh, lens work. Like, mm-hmm. like, so we didn't change the we didn't change the art direction in the house because, like, you know, we live there, and so we're like, let's shoot this in a different way so that that and they're in such different genres they weren't going to play in the same festivals they weren't going to like be seen back to back. So we we had that we understood that in mind, uh, we had that in mind and understood it. And then uh, the other one uh, we shot in our empty apartment that we still had access to right after we had moved out, and that was a horror. That was a horror film. Uh, for, I think it was, that was the first one we collaborated on when you yeah. did the poster for it. Mm-hmm. So um, that one, I was like... I think I, I've seen that one. 
Oh, have you? I think so. Oh, cool. And actor prepares. Is it? Is it? A, yeah, the one yeah, with, the, great. with the drill. Yeah, that wonderful. But, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that one's going to get online distribution later this year too, which is Fantastic, cool. Uh, I'm going to release that around Halloween. Um, but that one was cool because I, I really on on this track of being intentional about shooting in different genres, I really wanted to do a horror film um, because I wanted to try it, and that was a really hard writing process because that story started as something total. It started as a ghost story. Mm. Still had those two actors in mind because I knew I wanted to shoot it in that apartment with those two actors, uh, but it started this like weird ghost story, and I wrote half of it, and I just I couldn't crack it. Couldn't crack it, couldn't crack it, couldn't crack it. Wrote scene after scene after scene that just, I couldn't figure out how to glue them together, put them together as puzzle pieces. And then I was on the train home from a bartending shift and I was really struggling with it and I couldn't figure it out. And I was getting very emotional with myself, just like frustrated. I'm like, we're moving out of this apartment very soon and I have to shoot something yeah. and I don't know what I'm going to do. And then I thought of that story and I'm like, oh, that's it. And I went home and I sat down in the chair and I got the computer out and I scrapped all the other scenes and I wrote the first draft of that in about three hours. Mm. Andrea came home in the middle of it and I said, I love you. Don't talk to me. <laughs> and I kept writing and she knew she was like, okay, cool. Like this guy's in the zone. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I tell that story not because it was a moment of inspiration, but because it was a series of trial and error. It was a series of failures. Yeah. It was a series of me like trying to over engineer this story into something. And I just had to let it, I had to do that work and I had to let all those bad ideas out before the good ideas could flow. Yeah. Um, and then I sat down and did the work and just like, do, 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 just like banged it out. Um, and all of that came from those constraints, this yeah. apartment, these two actors. Boom. Yeah. I always, I mean, this is maybe a lame point, but I, I do think that that when the Blur Witch project came out, yeah, that was a stroke of genius. One of my professors, uh, worked for those, worked for those gotcha. guys on that. Yeah. Film, I mean, yeah. cause it, cause it just, it, it understood our psychology denying you access to the, yeah. the villain, the yep. monster, yep. what, so that you couldn't rationalize yep. it. I mean, it just left you unresolved, yeah. undone. If you were, if you were, uh, believing in the yeah. the reality of the proposition, and mm -hmm. it it had, I I mean I remember just being like that was one of the yeah. stroke of genius. Yeah, I mean the story of how they made that film is a big influence on me because she, my professor, uh, who was working for those guys at the time, um, was uh, that's just all she talked about was just using what you have. Yeah, you know, the efficiency. I mean, because I so in you talking, I, mean, I can yeah, exactly I can right. hear yeah. I can hear it can hear what you're saying and and see it in that film. I mean, yeah. I can listen to you and go like that that translates that's in that film. And now, yeah. you know, like that was one of those things where it also, also when you look at the, you know, it was a lightning rod because of the success that it had, I think had a paradigm shift at a time with technology and the internet, like there's a lot of things that were on the forefront. So it, it actually opened up whole categories yes. you know, for someone like yourself and a multitude of people. Yes. It's very, very paradigmatic. Yep. Um, yeah. I think this, it, it raises a fun question of um, like, talking about the things we have and the things we need. And I think sometimes we get stymied by the conversations of the things we need. Yeah. Right. So we say, you know, if I'll do it when I have the, the money, the time, the, the manpower, whatever mm -hmm. it is. Right. Um, and we, we forget to activate what we have already, mm -hmm. you know? And so, um, and it, it doesn't matter what stage of life you're in. This is a very alluring concept, right. To mm -hmm. just not activate what you already have. Yeah. Um, you know, because I mean, to be honest, I, I think I'd rather go home on the weekend and just sit on my couch than to sit, hear, hear a guy on on crew with me say, "Hey, by the way, we do these independent films. If you want to give up a Saturday and Sunday, you know, my 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 gut reaction is going to be, I mean, but I I could just like not. 
but there's something about activating what you already have. Right. Mm -hmm. And having that passion. And that's huge. Um, because I think sometimes, um, activating what we have actually gets us to what we need. Yeah. Right. So we see them as divorced, the haves and the needs, but I think they actually are much more interrelated. Um, because the work you do, like we've talked about, it can be magnetic to people. It can be momentum. It can draw other folks in and it can keep you doing more things. I mean, Ryan, we've, we've done projects and the more projects we do, it feels like the more ideas for projects we have. Yes. Like yeah, it's, 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 it's actually not a the slowdown. Work, no, be, work begets up. work. Yes, right. yeah. totally. Right. And so I think, you know, it's probably a pretty good segue into the, the kind of last big chunk I want to talk to you about, Carrie. And that's, I know you've got plans for the future. Mm-hmm. There's stuff that you're cooking up, uh, things you're moving into that, um, I think are very specific. They, they make total sense when we hear a lot of this story of your experiences mm-hmm. and whatnot. But uh, do you want to talk about the, the big thing on the horizon that you're cooking up? Sure. So I'm building a um, digital platform for military veterans to transition into this work. Um, so it's called CVX, uh, awesome. it's Creative Veterans Exchange. Um, a lot of military veterans, um, service members have interests that go uh, sort of beyond either their given or even their chosen uh, military career field. And uh, there are only certain types of jobs that are available to uh, service members when they get out of the military. Um, and those tend to be jobs we need, which is great. You know, tends to be a lot of blue collar work, tends to be a lot of factory work, tends to be a lot of security work, tends to be a lot of um, network work, you know, like things that uh, tech driven, which is obviously great. Um, but there are a lot more people out there like me than I think people realize, yeah. um, which is people that have an interest in creative work and have this foundation of military success, which gives you a certain uh, operating procedure that you walk through the world with. Um, and I've learned throughout this car- my career that we've talked about to this point my success has a lot less to do with my creative foundation and um, and uh, the creative work that I put in uh, than I would probably like to admit. And more of it actually comes from the skill sets that I learned through the experiences in the military. And that's why I've been able to actually navigate the navigate the sort of corporate world and navigate the agency world and the production company world so well. Um, I have like scooby-dooed my way through this process. Um, and... Definitely. Just real quick, uh, what do you mean by that? Like, what what kind of like specifically within this military uh, experience do sure. you think has been most helpful? Yeah. So, um, what military veterans, what service members are, are competent individuals who know how to operate well on a team, hmm. oh, and then who wow. know how to operate with their counterpart on another team with responsibilities, with responsibilities, real, res- yeah. real responsibilities. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so. Yeah, it goes beyond the like, thanks for serving our country and like, I can't believe you devoted four years of your life or six years or 10 years of your life to this or like whatever. It's like, you're able, we're able to do what we do because you do what you do. Thank you. Because beyond that, it's like, these are skills that have been, uh, that only the military can train. And uh, that's not to say that those skills are for everybody. And that's not to say that, that this platform that we're creating to get veterans jobs means that I want everybody to only hire veterans. What I actually think happens is you inject a couple veterans or a few veterans onto your teams or into your organization. And it's just, it's just another, uh, it's a, it's a, a diverse set of skills and a new, uh, outlook that it's a cultural, it's a culture building catalyst. It's catalytic. That's a great way to put it. Yeah. It's so, you know, catalyst dissolve a little bit, but the effects, uh, play their part in the makeup of something. I mean, just to echo your sentiment, I was thinking about this when you're talking. I was like, I, I could, I have a list of 
uh, GI Bill military students that have come into the class. Mm. They're a little older. There's a different maturity level. And always, always, intuitively, at the just the intuitive level, students uh, in total in classes with folks from the military take on a little bit of that vicariously. Sure. They take on a little bit of that tone. There's, uh, there's a assertion, a, 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 a confidence, a competency, yeah. also a teachability. Yeah. I mean, so there's certain things, and they set a tone, and, and it's just, it is always a, like a major blessing. Yeah. Huge. Cool Every hear. time. Yeah, Very man. Cool. It, I, like, I advocate hard for transfer students yeah. because I, I want the the full gamut of diversity. Right. Um, especially if it's ever someone in the military. I've not had a student that wasn't, that did not bring in their own individuated way, but something so intangible to the table that it 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 uh, elevated the yeah. totality of the room. That's awesome. Yeah, that's great to hear. Yeah, I think I think one of the tangible things for me that I've learned, Gareth, is the um, creatives and clients don't always get along very well, uh, which I think most people get understand. Yeah, but if you're a military veteran and you're a creative, chances are you'll get along with the client better than another creative will. And I have like secured a lot of work and been retained by a lot of the companies that I've worked with because I speak creative language, I speak production language, I speak editing language, I speak all the things that they need on that side, and the clients like me because I'm an adult and I've been around the world and I've worked in different capacities. I'm hygiene, not, hygiene. I, right, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm, not just, I'm not just a creative who's like, oh no, this client won't let me do this story the way I want it Dude. to. That's like, I'm over here being like, what do you need? Where are you from? What's going on? What sports team do you like? You know, yeah. just like building a relationship with these clients. Yeah. And and these other creatives are like, uh, there's value there. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so yeah. I, so, so I think that's a very practical example, um, of, of, of what you were asking about. Um, so yeah, so we're building this platform and it's, we're, you know, we're modeling it after LinkedIn hired indeed.com and we're making it a, um, a professional networking relationship building this conversation has actually been hugely helpful for me to kind of work out some of those networking versus relationship building aspects of this because uh, LinkedIn and Hired and Indeed do a really good job of, of certain things and they do a really poor job of other things. Um, and then military service organizations, veteran services organizations do a really, really poor job of, of actually getting veterans work and equipping veterans uh, once they are on the job in their new um, private sector capacity. So. Is there something to be learned? This is a totally busted question. Sure. Is there something to be learned from like dating websites where they give yeah. you, you know, like where they give you yeah. uh, visuals and yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think, I think, um, yes. So the, cause I almost feel like there's some kind of confluence between sure. something about there's some pulls into a amalgamated, you know, thing. So I think what I think what employers intuitively understand about a veteran is what you're talking about as an instructor in a classroom. They bring more than just whatever their job was. They bring a totality of experiences, mm -hmm. which a lot of times tends to be travel, international travel, um, working with people and for people with high levels of authority scary levels of authority sometimes dangerous environments the totality of all those experiences and is more than just i loaded bombs on fighter jets yeah. or i kicked down doors in afghanistan and killed bad guys it's like that's not the only thing like you know there's so much more to it and i yep. think that's what you were speaking to as an instructor and it's a little nebulous it's kind of sure. hard to describe yep. but and i think that's where the dating website app uh, is an apt uh, analogy because 
you want more when you're hiring you want more than just somebody who did a job. Mm-hmm. You want somebody who brings a totality of experiences that um, is going to bring value to your organization and is going to yeah. affect your culture positively. Yeah, that you're actually going to like. I mean, I, right. I I sometimes feel like I've, if I could say it this way, like I, in my own experiences navigating the jobs that I have or even my time at VCU, sometimes I've been like, I think I'm here just because people like having me around. Sure. So, in a way where I'm like, man, I'm not even sure I'm the best person for this particular gig. Yeah. But I think somewhere in there, there's also the fact that people are like, I'd rather work with you with a little bit less of this because I tend to enjoy yeah. hanging around with you. Yeah. And there's, you know, yeah. pra- that's practical humility, you know, yeah. like that's a, that's a, um, that's a great, that's a great yeah. outlook to have, I think. And I think that's what veterans bring is, is not all veterans, right? This is, this is, I mean, we're going to screen heavily for people who, who actually have an interest yep. and who actually can execute. And the cool thing about our organization is we're going to focus on those three hierarchies that we talked about before production, advertising and marketing. So there's kind of a place for, for everybody in this, uh, creativity, a creative umbrella, mm-hmm. you know, maybe you might be great on accounts on the marketing side. You might be a great client. Um, and you'll be a great client as a military veteran. Cause you're not a jaded artist who didn't make it quote unquote. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? You're this person who's like, no, I want to work in the creative, in this creative environment and do this thing. I know how to manage relationships. I know how to manage yep. people and processes. You know, and so you can you can actually eject vets into your organization and free other people up to do um, different things. Um, so yeah, so you know, Gareth and I are working pretty closely on designing the platform, and um, yeah, so we're modeling it after LinkedIn um, and and Facebook and some other things, and really treating it like a social professional networking opportunity. Because one of the things that veteran services organizations do a poor job of is allowing veterans to connect with each other and employers. Mm. They just like, we'll place you in this job or we think you're good for this or like, Hey guys, hire veterans because veterans, um, which is, well, it starts to be to use a technical term. That's bullshit. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, (laughs) Because veterans are people who bring, who bring, uh, value. Yeah. It devalues the humanity of the particular veteran and it also, uh, employs guilt. Yes. For sure. So guilt doesn't, generate much not a driver of of uh sustained energy yeah not at all um so yeah so so we're we're building that and then the the other aspect of it and bringing it back to the branded content branded entertainment spaces we're going to create a content studio where we will generate and produce our own content um and then other brands can uh, bring their content to our platform and it'll be a veteran centric veteran adjacent branded content studio uh where people can uh, watch, uh, be entertained by, and learn uh, about veteran stories. One of the biggest, biggest things is you hear, you think of a couple of things when you hear military veteran. You likely think uh, white Republican Christian male, and you think PTSD. Yeah. And not all veterans are white Republican Christian men, and not all veterans have PTSD. You're talking about you know injecting the humanity back into the story. Veterans are people that are doing really cool things. Veterans are people that are doing really weird things. Veterans are people that are doing really bad things. Veterans are people that are making mistakes. Veterans are people. Mm-hmm. Um, and everybody wants to tell a certain kind of story about veterans. And uh, nobody has sought the uh, uh, opportunity to tell a, 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 a holistic story about mm-hmm. where veterans are in the workplace. Mm-hmm. You know? so I mean, 300,000 veterans get out mm-hmm. of the military every year. Wow. Mm-hmm. 80% of them, 50% of them don't have a job lined up mm-hmm. and 80% of them that do get a job, leave it after the first year. Mm-hmm. Wow. So, yeah. 
And I think, you know, it's fantastic because it's, uh, it's taking, uh, your experiences, your skill set. it's taking all this stuff and putting it together towards specific needs that you see. Right. And that's, uh, I mean, that's fantastic. And I know you've been, uh, you know, kind of, so to speak, shopping this around mm-hmm. to a bunch of folks and really talking it up. Um, and so what, what kind of like feedback and how, how has it been received by folks yeah, you've been how, talking how, to? How do you overcome that stigma? Yeah. It's, it's, vis- it's, uh, yeah. so visually impressed upon the, the yeah. minds of people. So, Especially in a polarized political climate like we're in right now, for sure. So that's one of the cool things about uh, one of the cool things about the polarized political climate is that veterans um, can bring people together, mm-hmm. and um, can you can rally around uh, America in a way that feels uh, less political, if not totally apolitical. Um, so I mean, I've I've talked to super you know conservative people that are like that's great, and I've talked to super liberal people like that's great, you know. Yep. Industry people are really excited. Industry people are, I've talked to some agencies and some production uh, or some uh, marketing departments from big clients that I've worked with. People are like, you get that going, like we're in, like we'll, mm-hmm. we'll use it. Um, so people have been excited about it. Some veterans that I've talked to that are, that, uh, are like myself that would benefit from a platform like this are very excited about it. Um, I've had a couple experiences with a couple veterans where I'm like, this can change lives. Um, there's some veterans like veterans just I feel you and I were talking about this. I feel in many ways like a herald for this. Like I just just powered through and scuba dude my way through this process, not really knowing what I was doing. And um, a lot of people, a lot of veterans, um, for whatever reason, don't have that capacity or interest or capability or whatever, whatever combination of things that I have. Um, a lot of veterans can benefit from this. Um, so they're, they're so excited, um, to have a platform like this to use, uh, cause it doesn't exist anywhere else. Um, so, so yeah, uh, industry's interested. Veterans are interested. Uh, I just, I just have to get angel investors interested. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. that's the, that's always the thing. goal. But we're, the... This isn't going to be a nonprofit, you know, mm-hmm. this is something that, and nothing against nonprofits. Obviously we're sitting in one right now. I've, the nonprofits are great. But what I've noticed about the the, the VSO uh, sort of arena, veteran services organizations become nonprofits, I think, for the wrong reasons. Right. Mm-hmm. And this needs to be a business. This needs to live. This needs to live or die in the marketplace. This needs to generate revenue uh, because we are in the marketing business. We're in the advertising business. Mm-hmm. We're in the storytelling business. And that costs money. Yep. And and um, we can uh, kind of rally around best practices for this new uh, digital capitalistic marketplace uh, where people want stories and storytellers yeah. to, to thrive and live. And so um, I think that's, that's a, that's a huge thing. We're going after investors, not, not um, you know, fundraising in the, yep. in the nonprofit sense, because um, I want people with skin in the game. Like I want people, I want people to come like, Hey, here, here's some money. And like, here are my ideas. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, here's yeah, yeah, what yeah. I think we should do. Right. Um, yeah, I want the platform's wide enough that it actually affords that space. Definitely, yeah. You know, I think I think that's part of it because um, what I what I wanted, or I guess what we struggle with is like, <laughs> you don't want fifty million voices, right? You know, but for different ends, for different reasons, because yeah. we want to create the platform that, yeah. that can allow fifty million voices opportunities. You know, yeah. so different different ends, different starting points. But so, you know, it's interesting to think about because I think I think it's smart to actually push it away from a nonprofit. Yeah especially to get people that invest with skin in the game. Yeah. You know, um, I ha- you know, it makes, I, I'm just wondering, this hasn't come up yet in your time in LA is, um, how does the Illuminati come in? <laughs> the Illuminati. How does, how, when, when do you expect to get 
contacted uh, when, um, you know um, industry the illuminati just runs the industry that's what well you know, yeah that's my favorite conspiracy I'm obviously theory. already a member that, that's um, why you're hesitating I yeah i didn't have to that's, I, that's have why to i tell you that's right that's right how do you know he hasn't been um, that's right yeah well i mean i just figured he hasn't contacted us jay-z so. is gonna fund my uh, <laughs> that's what i'm saying fund the, <laughs> i was cvx yeah just so you guys know he did cover one eye when he walked in i didn't I've, I've never put together why you have such a weird handshake. <laughs> that's exactly. That's what, see, see, we're getting there. I mean, I swear, it's taken us two hours. Shout of out to all my conspiracy theory uh, buddies that like to talk about this stuff. But. Yeah, if you're out there listening, just just rattle your tinfoil hats, folks. Yeah, I don't. I don't use tinfoil anymore. I use felt. <laughs> it's a softer. More, it's a more supple. It's material. A supple material. <laughs> I also just like tangentially. I. Uh, like who do you have who, who are your I hate questions like I hate being asked this question mm-hmm. so I hate that I'm asking the question but I'm gonna do it because I'm my curiosity sure who, film directors just filmmakers uh broadly speaking who, yeah. who are some folks that uh, uh huge Tarantino fan okay um huge Chris Nolan fan yep um let's see uh and then I'm, I've been hugely influenced by the Duplass brothers okay. Mark, Mark Duplass specifically um especially now that I've sort of dipped into acting a little bit, kind of mm-hmm. like he did. It's not, you know, um, something that he like pursued necessarily, but yeah. he did it out of necessity. And then yep. it kind of grew into this thing where he could, you know, kind of have some roles and some other things. Um, but I'm a huge fan of, I'm a huge fan of their process and the way that they make kind of independent films, especially with some of the mistakes that they've made and how open they are about, mm-hmm. about talking about that. Um, so my two favorite movies of all time, uh, which is weird are um, a knight's tale mm-hmm. with uh, Heath yep. Ledger um, and then Armageddon by Michael <laughs> no Bay, way. which, uh, which is going <laughs> Sorry, to uh, 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 a, a film by Michael Bay, a which film uh, by might, Michael might Bay. get me in trouble with some folks, but um, <laughs> we can edit this out. Yeah, yeah. No, but I think um, I, I love those two movies. They're, they're kind of popcorn movies, but um, they tell really interesting stories and they the arcs that they have are, um, are very specific. Armageddon is weird because it's kind of one of those movies that makes me cry every single time I watch it. I mean, every time Liv Tyler is uh, talking to Bruce Willis uh, right before Bruce Willis is going to stay on that rock, just like it just it moves me every single time. And when a movie can move you that consistently, um, I think that there's some import there. Um, but one of the big things that I, I learned early on uh, from my grandma, who was a huge influence. We used to watch, she used to show me movies, um, and we would read the same books and we would like essentially do book reports and just talk to each other about, and we would read and watch everything. And she taught me from a young age that like popcorn fiction matters too. Mm -hmm. Um, and that, you know, literary fiction is great and classic literature is awesome. And that's the foundation, Mm -hmm. but like, you know, you can watch the Avengers and enjoy it and you can, you know, watch the Avengers and get something from it. You know what I mean? And, um, so, uh, I, I, I love my Chris Nolans and my Quentin Tarantino's, but I also love the Russo brothers. And I, you know, I watch, you know, um, anything and everything that I can. Mm-hmm. Um, I just love stories. Cause when you were talking, I, you know, I'm a out, my wife and our brother, Alfred Hitchcock yeah. works. And I was thinking about the rope, yeah. uh, in terms of, you know, one location, yeah. you know, some set, maybe seven or eight actors. I can't maybe eight actors yeah. total. And one, and, one shot, there was one seam in there, but you know, one continuous shot for the whole film. Yeah. 
And, and it's like, I feel like a lot of times you don't, I was like, man, this, this kind of story doesn't get told in the big screen anymore. Like visually doesn't get told in that way anymore. Right. I mean, that's how those movies, you know, were made, even the ones that were shot on location. Mm -hmm. Um, like, all right, to get some art cred here, like Ilya Kazan is one of my favorite old, the old school directors. Right. And like on the waterfront, one of the best movies ever made, um, Brando's best performance. And you're like, that movie definitely would were shot on location, but only in a couple different locations within that location. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Right. Um, and I'm, I'm also pretty sure that the taxi cab scene was shot on a soundstage anyway, but like that's where, that's where when, when the talkies first started, like it was an on location, it was in on sets. So like, that's actually that this notion of, you know, one or two locations over the course of one or two days with just a small cast is mm-hmm. actually built into the fabric and the foundation of where filmmaking comes from. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Now I gravitate towards this. I mean, I, I love that, you know, growing up, I love the movie juice. Yeah. I mean, it was one block. It was just shot on one block yeah. made, made to feel like they were all over the city, but it yeah. was just actually literally one block. Yeah. And just the idea that you can take a block and, and scale it up yeah. and do the right know, thing. That's right. Do the right thing. Same thing. Friday. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you Love know, all those like movies, these, by the these, way. These, yeah. I mean, these, these are movies that, that kind of bridge the gap between multiple locations and one location and, you know, a small cast that's kind of coming in and out or whatever. That's right. Um, yeah. Big, yeah. Spike Lee, big Spike Lee fan, I guess. And, you know, I'm, just, I'm trying to think who other, other directors. Um, do you find you're still influenceable in the same way or do you, do you, um, I find as a painter, like who's a painting dork that the longer I um, live. So I'll be 44 this November. It's not that I'm closed off, mm-hmm. but I'm not as influenceable in the aspirational sense, the way that I was early in my experience as a maker. And it's not a volitional thing. I'm not like concretely or um, I also find that I gobbled up a lot early, uh, but I don't know that I fully digested it. And so I took in a lot, but I've found myself looking back at some people that I passed over, historically speaking, and, and been more inspired by them now. What about what about the tact? Are you influenceable in the tactical sense? Like in like how, like how to execute? How to or- execute. Yeah, I mean, and that's a good, <clears throat> that's something I'm wrestling with. Part of me thinks it's because I'm doing a lot of different things. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of that kind of, um, that brain space or that, that, those desires are being played out actually. So kind of like that's happening, you know, this, this whole project, the whole thing, Shaco art space that is occupying so much of that yeah. headspace, all the things that Gareth and I do and talk about. Right. So then when it comes to painting, there's a little bit of like, um, uh, I don't even know if I've exhausted or brought to bear kind of the, the most core convictions and aspirations that I have as a painter, uh, to light as of yet, just by virtue of the, the range of things that I'm involved with. Right. So I find that I'm like, I'm honing my craft as a professor all the time. Sure. You know, so that honing my craft kind of thing, I'm always reading. So I'm always refining my thinking. So, um, so then when it comes to the making component and it may be now that I'm just, maybe I'm just thinking out loud now, it's a tangential, but like I, to your, to your question, it's like, maybe I just haven't given myself time Mm. and that's why, but I find when I look at paintings, um, I'm not as critical as I was as a early artist where I was coming uh, coming into my own as far as what I understood and I could see how things were made and I started to have a developed eye. Um, but I'm, I'm not as, imp- um, and I'm a curator, so I'm curating shows, so I'm interested in art. I look at it, I'm excited about it. But in terms of what actually moves me, it seems far, it almost feels like a byproduct of learning 
is it it's uh, sometimes maybe maybe it's harder to be moved arbitrary or at certain levels of depth. Yeah, I think that makes sense. I think when you're younger, when you're younger, you're hungry for that. And so you're more open to it when you're older and you're working. That's why I look at it in the tactical sense now. So like I asked you if you'd seen Once Upon a Time in Hollywood yet. It's like I'm Tarantino influences me with every movie that he makes because he does something actually a little different each time. And like Mm -hmm. Once Upon a Time from Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is almost a complete departure from his uh, kind of from his uh, portfolio in a weird way. It has like the Tarantino watermarks on it, but it's totally different. And that moved me. When we walked out of that movie, I walked out of it with some people who were like, oh, that's not what I was expecting. It's not a Tarantino movie. And I walked out, I'm like, yeah, that's dope. Tarantino just did something new. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like Tarantino. But his see what's ninth it, movie. He's, what, he's, he only has one left, supposedly. Yeah, yeah, And he yeah, just yeah. did something new all the way at the end. Like, it's a different genre. It's like all different stuff. Like, what are, like, what are the tactical aspects of that? Uh, Jordan Peele is a great example, too. Like, he makes Get Out. Then he makes, um, drawing a blank. Oh yeah, yeah. I um um oh shoot. Yeah, but this 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 uh, um oh, such a bad filmmaker and film fan. But this last this last one he made, you can tell that like Jordan Peele created a new genre. Yep. Uh, with Get Out, and then he made another movie in that new genre that he created that's totally different and unique right. from that's Get right. Out. And I'm like, oh, so that's the tactical sense that I'm yes, talking about, where right. I'm influenced by this. Like, yeah. Okay, cool. So Us. Us. us, yeah, exactly. Us. So us, yeah, yeah, yeah. us falls within this new genre that that yeah. Jordan Peele created, but he made a, a wholly new and unique thing within it, which I think is that's where I get excited about. Right, I get excited about the tactics of that. Yeah, um, Chris Nolan, same way. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. know, yeah. I mean Dunkirk, and yeah. then now he's going to make this new time traveling James Bond kind right. of thing, and you're like, what is right. going on? Like, right, I think right, right. I think in the same conversation. The the thing that uh, is making sense for me is. I think at an earlier time, it wasn't as much about influence as much as now I can see what I have the capability to learn. And I mm. think earlier on, it was more about what do I have the capability to take? Yeah. So what can I, what can I draw from these other people in terms of almost like one-to-one directness? Mm-hmm. Um, and now it's like, no, like a lot of that's been refined to something that starts to feel after 15 years, like a, like a style or a feel visually mm-hmm. for things. So now it's just, how do I learn? Maybe, maybe tactically is a good way to think about it. Like, you know, um, how do I do my work yeah. or what sort of things influence or what questions are they asking? Mm-hmm. You know, what are the things that are building the work? I think that stuff for me right now is more influential. Whereas before there was a lot of like co-opting. Yeah. Well, and I think people who are just doing their work don't think about it. Like, of course there's a consistency to Christopher Nolan's work because it's Christopher Nolan. He's yes, making right. it. And so he, yeah, he doesn't, he doesn't think about is Christopher Nolan making this movie? Christopher Nolan just makes the movie. That's right. You know, and it's like, I, we've been talking about Joker this, this weekend. Todd Phillips is another contemporary director that right. I love. Hangover trilogy. Brilliant. Old school. Hilarious. Uh, Starsky and Hutch. Horrible. Uh, <laughs> War dogs somewhere in between. And then he makes Joker and it's like, it all has kind of Todd Phillips thing all over it, yeah. but it's, it's, uh, so different. Yeah. You know? Yeah. 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 No, that's interesting. I, so different mediums I think play themselves out. Like I, you know, a lot of the people like, so I look at, so I've, I've found myself looking at artists that are dead and, and in terms of the line of pain and just like, just as a mode of exercise, just thinking about painting. And I'm like, that, that might be part of it. So some of the people that, that I look back on are not producing anymore. Mm-hmm. And then, and then there's such a high level of individuated, individuated expressions uh, from makers and painters that you're, you're not tracking lines of development. There's some, I mean, it's, yeah. it's just so much 
um, that you it's hard to track with even a single artist necessarily because right. constantly taking a new artist. Like I mean, I'm just literally thinking raw out loud yeah. right now in a way that I'm just like, man. I mean, I look at thousands of portfolios a year, so I'm just like, God, just gobbling yeah. in, you know. Yeah. And uh, it's a difficult. Lot. It's a lot to process. It's a lot to kind of crunch down. And I think it's true too. Though. I mean, I mean, I was telling my kids we were having a discussion about disposable culture. And, How old are your kids? Uh, four, six, and nine. Great. And so we're talking about them. <laughs> they're on the bed, and I'm like, you know, some things are just meant to be thrown away. They don't. They're not. It doesn't. De- that doesn't mean they have no impact or no value. It's just that they're not meant to stay around. Mm-hmm. And I said, there's a lot of stuff that's disposable, whether the person intended that or not. So we started talking about like, what are the kinds of things you, that carry forward for you? And we're talking about this in relation to buying toys. Mm-hmm. I was like, you're being marketed to with these toys that you keep going towards and they're really the same toy rephrase a tiny bit, mm-hmm. but they're never made well enough so that you don't want more of some other version of it. So that's on purpose. So do you want to spend your money on this? It's your choice. You can, but let's talk about it. And so my daughters were like really starting to process it. And so I was like, when we go on Netflix, do you watch every movie you see on Netflix? And she's like, no, my daughter Ava. And she's like, no, yeah, some of them we don't watch at all. And I was like, yeah, like they may be good, they may not be, but not all of them are there to live forever, you know. Or, have, you, or, have you have you heard of the Lindy effect? Tell me about it. So it's the idea that um, something that has stood the test of time is more likely to stand the test of time. Mm. Gotcha. So something that the longer something has been around, yep, the longer it is likely to be around. Uh, 100x 1000x times yeah. like whatever the time frame it is that we're talking about yeah right that's yeah. interesting i need to i need to look up that think on that a little bit yeah 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 does that so do you, so then does that become a challenge to depart from that do you test the theory um do you know what i'm saying like so are you saying I, like modes models structures um or the singular outcome itself yeah um, i tend to i i'm not interested in trends yeah. Um, if a trend, if a trend is stood the I'm test of time, yeah. If, it's, yeah. if a trend is stood the test of time, like I'm not an experiment, experi, uh, experimental filmmaker. Yeah. Um, I don't really like. There's just certain foundational, basic uh, techniques and executions that work, and yep. I will engage in those ones. Yep. Um, and if you know, I come across an editor or somebody who wants to like try this funky new thing, um, I'm open. Sure. Like, I'm, I'm open to it. I'll take a look. But if if it doesn't smash, uh, pass the smell test for me, I'm like, no, back to the basics, back to yeah. the basics on this. Yeah, you yeah, know? Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I test the theory in practice and I test the, I test the theory in, in consumption as well. Mm-hmm. You know, like there's certain things that will come out that I'll need enough people to be like, Hey, that was really good. You should check that out. Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Or I'm not going to watch. Yeah. It. I definitely <laughs> probably fall into that lane. Yeah. I mean, I probably, is, that's maybe one of the, the things that, I don't know if you feel this way, Garrett, like that's probably one of the things that's happening where I'm like, is it because I'm getting older or is it just that I'm not, like I've had an experimental range to my work, but the experiments were always in tight relationship to what had proceeded. So it wasn't so divorced from that, that it was dislodged and in, in just sort of orbiting by itself. It was in dialogue with or discourse with developmenting. It's right. like, it's like in contrast to, but it, uh, dancing with and, and trying to understand movements by dancing with something by stepping outside of it a little bit in terms of practice, theory, execution, technique, uh, those kinds of things. And so, um, you know, I prefer less experimental music. I mean, I tend to prefer musicality. Yeah. And there's a lot there that works and resonates and doesn't really fade or go away. And I think you see that in narrative structures as well. Uh, there's a reason why certain things do persist. So maybe to you, I mean, I think about what you're talking about. You said the Lindy effect. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's observable. 
And uh, I mean, I probably even teach to those points actually. And then it produces effects and results constantly. It's, the constancy is incredible. So it says something, it builds an argument, you know, it substantiates a point. Um, but we also are in an environment where there's highly experimental things happening. Sure. You know, and and there needs to be room for that. I, I there think needs so. to be room for that. Yeah. I just don't have to be the one to consume That's, yeah. or participate. I, yeah, yeah. I think, and, and if I, yeah. it's going to pass, if it's going to stand the test of time, it doesn't need my participation to do so. That's right. Because yeah. Lindy already gave us permission. <laughs> right. Yeah. <exactly. laughs> of Lindy. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I, you know, let me, I'll just be the like guy with the total sterile outlook on this. Um, go ahead, Spock. <laughs> just going to go for it. Um, but you know, just even the nature of like, when we talk about something experimental, like yeah, experimental is to an end. Right. And Hopefully. I think that's one of the things that we've taken it where it's like, no, it is the end. So we say, oh, this experimental thing is the end in and of itself. And I think that's why it, it maybe sometimes, uh, like falls on deaf ears doesn't resonate sure. always because, you know, like if, if we think of experiment in any other sense, except for experimental art and design, the idea behind, or well, it would be experimental art and then like speculative design, right? Mm -hmm. So you'd have these sort of spaces. The reason that it, we're not really too excited about it is we understand kind of fundamentally, like, in, like in the sciences, an experiment is to produce something else in order to do something with, you know, better success or whatever your qualifications are. Right. But it's, it's still something where it's like, it's difficult for me to get too overly excited about something uber experimental, unless you're kind of telling me like, Oh, what, what is this toward? And that's why I said, let me be a sterile guy in the room. Yeah. Yeah. yeah no, there's I, nothing. Yeah. Yeah. There's nothing new under the sun. I mean, it, uh, creating an original work is just in my belief, an original work, a truly original work is just simply an alignment with the established standards and principles that have existed since the dawn of time. Like there are yeah. certain things that were built into the fabric of the universe that an original work will match up with those things. Mm -hmm. An original work does not. Yeah. I, uh, well, I talk I, about it in I would, terms. Oh, go, go for it. I was going to say, I just talk about it in terms of like a restaurant, you know, you don't go to a restaurant and go, Oh my gosh, did you realize they came up with this brand new like food item? They have a brand new ingredient. Nobody else had. Right. It, they did this thing. Nobody's right. ever said that, but they go like in Richmond, we got a new restaurant like every 15 minutes and most of them are fantastic and they're using the same ingredients and they're doing amazing things, new things, different things. And they're not out there going, you know what we did? We took like these, uh, these random things that you're not supposed to eat and we made them into food and somehow it's now amazing and we never knew it, you know, but the experiments they're doing are actually producing something that can be original and fantastic and not just experimental. Well, it's a, it's a bad assumption about originality, which is a highly abstract category that is pressurized to make something that comes divorced from uh, what preceded it. So, so that's the bad sophomoric assumption about originality. But originality tends to play on, it tends to stay lock and step with which has preceded it enough that if you're, con if you're a consumer of that, then you recognize it as such. And, and it plays on, it understands your expectations. And so that when it takes a slight departure from standard expectations, you're, you're taken by surprise. But you're only taken by surprise because of how much of it is actually in step with what you'd expect. So it's therefore then it's actually just extending whatever that is forward. Mm -hmm. So it's actually in continuation with it. It's never divorced from it. Yeah. It just expands and changes uh, a, a measure of your expectation and relationship right. to something. So it kind of makes you feel like, you know, if just really lame example would be like, if you are a, you're a, you know, you, not that you're lame if you paint flowers, but I'm just trying to think of a really simple one. So I think, you know, you're a photographer, you, you shoot flowers and you've seen a 50 million photographs of flowers and you see flowers. 
but then someone comes along to something original. Well, it's original and shocking because it plays on our assumptions about what we thought we knew about right. that. And right. then you feel a little bit of like awe surprise, like, but also then resonation because you're like, that actually resonates. Yeah. So then you're like, I get it. I see it. And how could I not have seen that? That's shocking to me. That's amazing. From an intellectual standpoint, you're relearning a truth. From an emotional standpoint, you're refeeling a feeling. That's right. Yeah. And and I think that's I think that's actually what making uh, aspirationally entails. Is that's where it's extending culture forward, pushing society forward. And there's always new generations that are coming along that are being educated into what has happened and being uh, situated. Uh, uh, you know, uh, forward, forward thinking into what's possible. Um, and so when we get the bad idea of uh, originality, it's literally typically deconstructing or deformalizing or uh, discordant. And that's why it doesn't have any life to it. We were talking about this yesterday with your, with your daughter mm-hmm. and cheeseburgers. And we're just joking about how she likes cheeseburgers, but she likes the bun, the cheese, and the meat separate. And Gareth is like, that's not a cheeseburger. Yeah. Yeah, 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 like yeah. you can eat that, like for sure, yeah. and you can and you can kind of put the things together how you need to, but just understand it's not a That's cheeseburger. Not a cheeseburger. Yeah, it's just like <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, if I went to the store, it's a Salisbury steak. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I go to the With store and I buy a, a puzzle in a box and I stick it on my wall and I go, look at the puzzle I did. Right. And it's like, no, you you got a box full of pieces. Right. That's right. You haven't done the, the yeah. work of putting it together. Um, you know, and I think you know, kind of, I don't know, as a charge moving forward, like that's, I think this is a great kind of way to sort of punctuate what we've talked about today. The, um, you know all of this about originality and the struggle with it. But I think there's still a, a huge active part in this, right? Is that we can sit here and we can just talk about it. But I think that a lot of this really does get p- played out in the experimental or experiential, excuse me, doing of this stuff sure. and actually activating. And so uh, I think as we kind of, you know, wrap some stuff up for today, um, Carrie, where can we find stuff about you? Where can we, we check out your work? How can we see those films that no one can see, Carrie? <laughs> yeah. Where's the um, secret vault? Uh, com uh, has my, has my, uh, portfolio which has just pretty much been um been uh curated from vimeo so you can find me on vimeo carrie kite c-a-r-e-y-k-i-g-h-t what's better vimeo or youtube for vimeo Vimeo. yeah Yeah. vimeo is the filmmakers uh filmmakers place yeah uh youtube is uh youtube is cat videos and podcasts and uh and and vimeo is is um you know, what kind of more elevated content, uh, not to say that there's anything wrong with podcasts and, and, uh, you just and, did though. It's okay. And, and, and cat videos, but it's just <laughs> different, different places. Right. Um, <laughs> you just totally trashed us, Carrie. No, no, I, I I'm glad podcast you, too. I know <laughs> you do. No, no, I'm, I'm totally joking. No, I, I think that's, I think it's just like helpful distinction to make for sure. For sure. We're having this discussion, Nick and I about yeah. Vimeo and podcast and yeah. Gareth and I, and Nick was saying that Vimeo is definitely the place for, Films like our documentary and right. Yeah, 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 so. right. yeah. Vimeo just, it just, I think it's just, uh, it's just happened that way that Vimeo yeah. tends to be the place where people have curated and YouTube, you know, was uh, more pop bit. culture kind of stuff, which is great. I mean, I watch yeah. a lot of things on YouTube too. Uh, but yeah, no Vimeo, you can find me on Vimeo on my website. Um, yeah, kind of active on social media, Instagram, uh, carry.kite and yeah, that's pretty much well, it. Well, I have one last question sure. for you. Is there a project at, you're on your, I mean, you're still, you're, you're a young artist in a lot of mm-hmm. ways. So, um, is there, is there anything that is like, man, someday if, if certain conditions come together, I want to make this, do you have anything that you're holding out for? Like something, something like more, you know, swan song kind of aspiration. Um, I don't, I don't have that. Yeah. I have, um, you know, I'm really interested in the next iteration of this process, which is turning a short film into a web series and telling episodic content. So, 
I was joking with Andrea the other day and the lead actress who plays uh, who plays her opposite me in in the short. I'm like, you know, what if we just did this for another 20 years? What if just like every year we made a few episodes of this web series and just tackled whatever it was that we were going through in our life and we have you know, 30 seasons by the time we're, we're in our and you're 50s. Liter- literally aging up. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. And it'd like be kind of fun. So I'm interested in telling episodic content in that way. Um, I started writing a new short film last week that I think is actually morphing into a pilot. Um, so I'm going to develop that into, um, into a pilot and that I will try, I won't try to make, I'm not going to try to write that one for, um, situations that I can shoot myself. I'm actually going to try to write that one and try to sell it like that one. I'm going to try mm-hmm. to go through the channels with the network that I've built and the people that I know to like try to get that in front of, um, in front of some buyers and see, you know, see, sure. how, see, see how it goes. Um, yeah, I don't know. Feature films, you know, feature films used to be the dream, but now television is just where it's at. Right. Um, or Netflix films, you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. um, but I do, I do love, like I love the Tarantinos and the, and the, uh, Chris Nolans and the Jordan Peels. So who knows, yeah. you know, maybe, maybe, uh, working towards feature film, feature films are, um, are in my future, but really building CVX is the, is the biggest, is the yeah. biggest thing that I'm working towards right now. Yeah. Um, awesome. yeah. 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 So we're, I mean, we're super excited to keep up with you, man. See how this yep. stuff's going. And then, uh, as things stop, start popping off, uh, even more so in the future, having you back again to talk about that experience and what it's like to go through it for but, our love, our love story series, our love right. story series. Yeah. yeah. My love story with my work. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm not going to make any jokes. I'm going to step back. I'm going to step back from that one. Stay away. And on that note, thanks again, guys, for all of y'all out there uh, that are taking part and listening with us. So thank you, Carrie, for being a part of this. Thanks, Ryan, as always, for uh, sitting here and having these conversations with us. Uh, Absolutely. And uh, thank y'all. We'll talk to you next time. Bye bye. Thanks, guys. You've been listening to Shaco Art Speak, a production of Shaco Art Space. We are an independent, nonprofit art gallery in Richmond, Virginia. We can be found online at shacoartspace.com and in real life in historic Shaco Bottom.